Hey, welcome to the 307th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I'm currently talking about the Silver Age, Superman, uh, Superboy, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen comics that are just really weird, really weird, bizarre covers and people dying and turning into babies and, and stuff like that. So really weird, wacky stuff. Uh, I'll probably you know keep doing that for maybe another week or so and sometimes talk about movies and, and other comic topics. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee. That is ko-fi.com slash g-man from heck so what is this week this week we are going to be talking about mission impossible dead reckoning part one so it's mission impossible eight you can hear about that uh we also have um another my adventure with superman another secret invasion another hijack and another crowded room so it i don't know if it's gonna be any shorter it should be shorter this week <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll see uh, but let's just, uh, um, oh, and just, just a warning for the following week, I, sh- I should mention this at the end too, uh, I got Comic-Con coming up the, this following week. We'll see how that's going to affect uh, next, the next, next, episode, next week's episode. Not this episode, the next one. But um, one, one of the areas of concern that I'm having, we got the got double strikes going. We got the writer strike and got the actor strike. So decisions have not been made, and you know it, it. You some people might say it's like, oh, you know, these people are just, you know, these actors. They just want money and stuff like that. And it's, it's like, no, it's like they they deserve what they they should be earning, or you know, they 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 deserve to get more. And what what it comes down to, you know, it's 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 a weird whole you know pickle of a situation, I guess. I don't know why people call it pickles, but basically, you have. The higher ups, and you know, a lot of times you look at the you know the CEOs, and you know, uh, salaries have been you know some of them are making like fifty million, forty million, and yet they're making huge decisions, and you know they're they're giving us what we want, and they're looking at things carefully, making sure everything meets standards and whatever, and and all that. But it's like, come on. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, it, it it would be fascinating. I don't know how fascinating it would be. Like, what is their day to day jobs? You know, do they actually sit in an office? Do they sit on their yacht? You know, are are they going through emails? Are they on the phone? Are they in meetings, listening to pitches? Are they reading scripts? What what the heck are they doing? You know, how how does this work? And then of course, you know, you have a board, and it's not just like one CEO. You have all these high paid people that are making all these decisions. And then it comes down to the little people who are making the product, they get very little in return. I mean, that that's just corporate America. I mean, that's just like the world. And, and I, I kind of look at it back when, when I was working for CBS Interactive. You know, I, I hear I'm running this website. I'm doing all this stuff, working my butt off, working long hours, working on the ferry, 
working when I get home, working on the weekends, you know, constantly reading emails, checking my, every time my phone, I was, I, I tell people I felt like I was a doctor, like I was always on call. And, you know, there's always fears like, what if the website crashes? I need to try to get a hold of an engineer because we had engineers like all over, like, there's some engineers like in, in Europe, whatever, you know, different time zones. You, you, so you're like, oh, breaking news. Like, oh no, someone's cast as, you know, Spider-Man and blah, 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 you know. So there was like all this stuff. And just, you know, constantly working, trying to network, trying to arrange everything just to get the content so you can get the page views, so you can get the advertising, you know, so it's, it, it all comes down to all this stuff. What, you know, so using websites as an example, and I, I should, I know I should be sticking to, to movies and everything, but if you look at like a website, if you don't have good content, people aren't going to visit the website. So, you know, why are they going to care to go there? And if no one's going there, you're not going to get the clicks. You're not going to get, you know, the people wanting to pay to advertise on your website. And, you know, that's where the, the money comes in. So it, it was annoying when, when you think about, like, how long you work and how hard you work. And, and you know, a lot of people are like, it's like, oh, you get paid to, to write about superheroes, or write about comic books, or write about video games. And, yeah, you know, th- there is that, that, um, that appeal but I'll tell you, man, and, and you know, a lot of times I, I, I you know, talk to friends and there's like certain movies. I was like, yeah, I never saw that. I never saw that. I never saw it. I didn't have time to, to see all, all, all this other stuff because I was constantly working. And, and I know, you know, looking back, I know I, I worked more than I should have. But that, that's just that's kind of how it goes when, you know, you're, you're dedicated to it. And and and, you know, yeah, I could have easily been replaced probably by like two or three, you know, people so you know you also have to have that uh, it's and it, it's just frustrating and knowing that the higher-ups probably have like no idea they don't even care like what you're putting out there they, they're just looking at the numbers and you know that that's how it kind of is in hollywood too you know how many of these these high upper people actually watch the movie some of them may but some of them they probably could care less you know it, they might not even be like their genre of choice it's just like okay i don't know care put some big name actor who's that i don't know i don't care are they going to bring people in the theater okay great cast them let's let's make this let's do this and you know they they also look at where I, i'm i'm sure you know you have your your top tier cream of the crop actors or whatever but there are also so many actors you know, fighting for auditions. You, you know, you may have your Tom Cruise, your Brad Pitt, your, you know, whoever, but there's always, you know, going to be the, the next superstar waiting for their, their chance. So they, they don't care who, who it is. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's just crazy. You know, so they, they, they should get their, their, what's due to them. And if you don't have actors killing, you know, working their butts off, to deliver these killer performances, if you don't have writers that are writing really good stuff, you're not. It doesn't matter. You know, you, you let's take Mission Impossible. You know, these movies are big. Or you take a Marvel movie, you take a DC movie, whatever. You know, if, if the writing is bad, if the acting is bad, people aren't going to be like, uh, what, "What's going on here?" They might be a little forgiving and maybe give it another shot, but that's that's only going to last so long. So it all all depends, and and it goes beyond. It's, it's not just the uh, the writers and the actors. You know, it's, you look at the thousands of names at the end credits. You know, all these people are doing you know their part to make this movie happen, and you know, so many of them just you know they they 
they barely get any recognition. You know, they get their name. People walk out during the credits and I, I can't keep it. You know, it scrolls so fast. You can't read everything. Not that I'm going to say like, oh, here's, you know, Tom Smith or whatever. He's who's this guy? You know, how many is that that same guy that was on this other movie? I don't know. Uh, so the other aspect with, with the strike, this affects Comic-Con. And, I, you know, I at, at this point, as I record this, you know, I do have some interviews lined up with, you know, there are going to be some shows there, some people there. But the things it, it's it's not going to be any of the actors. And, and it, it's bad that, you know, that's that's what the audiences want to see and hear. So, I, you know, I, I have some some things lined up with some, some showrunners. And, and I, I think that's interesting because, you know, they know both more about it probably than, you know, the actors do because they, they have to. But it's it's just, it's it's kind of, I, I know there's going to be not a whole lot of opportunities for me. Like, I'm not going to have a lot of things. So it's, <laughs> what am I going to be doing during Comic-Con? And I, I, and I, I know that that's kind of a good thing. And maybe be like, maybe I can actually enjoy it. But... I just I don't know I don't know how to do that is as weird as it sounds. I'm used to running around majority of the time. Yeah, I'll stop and talk to you know friends and and, and bug Dustin Nguyen at, at his table in Artist Alley or whatever. But I like I can't remember the last time I actually sat in a panel because it's like I don't have time to, to sit there, you know, hoping to get in and then waiting and and it also it, it seems like there the better things are going to be more in demand. There's going to be more people trying to... I, I, I just don't know. But as far as the strike goes, it pro- prohibits members from participating in press junkets, film premieres, and fan events like Comic-Con. We heard in the news, the Oppenheimer premiere, the cast, they left the a premiere like in London. And, you know, the, the strike happened. They're like, all right, see ya. You know, we're, we're leaving and and that's a you know it's it's it kind of a it makes a a statement there. It's just like yeah, see you later. They're also forbidden from discussing content or upcoming work on social media. So even on like their social media channels, they can't they can't be like, hey, I did this like Brett Dalton right before. He's like, I know the strikes, you know, about to happen. I just want to talk about the show that I'm doing. I think it's called search found i forget what it's called it's like an nbc show basically we're like looking and the reason he wanted to do this he went because he wants people not that he's promoting his work but because of the messages you know like all these missing people kids or whoever that are, are found and so you know he he's really you know wants that that message out there so it, it's just it's going to have a big impact and, and we're going to start to see this you know the writer strike is over. It was like 70 something days. Now we have the, the actor strike. And there was a supposed report from some, some higher ups where they're like, you know, cause uh, last week the deadline was, you know, with the, the writers w- was to make a deal. And some higher ups supposedly said, yeah, we're just going to keep them out of work. And, and then, you know, wait till they, they, they lose, they run out of money and they lose their apartments or whatever. And then they'll come back to us, which is like, like horrible. When you got these people in billion dollar, billion dollar houses, million dollar, probably not, not billion dollar houses, but they have all their houses and jets and boats. And it's just crazy. So things that are halting production, like Deadpool three, I feel like that just started production. You know, we, we saw 
image of you know spoiler of of wolverine in his yellow costume you saw you know wolverine and deadpool that has to stop production thunderbolts and blade already stopped you know those are postponed indefinitely which i i hate that word because it makes it sound like it's it's forever but it's just because they, they don't know how long venom 3 pause production gladiator 2 you know, there's so many Marvel Studios like projects have been paused, and even like Mission Impossible Eight. You know, they they had a, a pre-planned hiatus to promote the movie, and you know they they probably filmed most of it, but uh, they so they had this pause plan. But how long will this the strike go on? You know, how long will that affect? You know, is Mission Impossible going to come out when it's supposed to next year? We don't know. So this this is a a big thing uh, there there's also word that like some animation stuff might still be able to continue work uh like stuff that's coming out like maybe 2025 you know you can still you know keep working on it because the animators are in a different union i guess if, if they're even in a union but animated movies that are set for like 2024 are probably going to get delayed uh you know so like spider-verse uh you know there's already talks that the, you know people are saying there's no way that's going to come out on time but like other animated movies that, you know, because they get to a point where it's like, okay, it's time for the voiceover work. And you can't have that if they're on streak. So yeah, we're, we're going to start to feel it soon. And, you know, who knows how long this is going to go on. So it's just, it's, it's, it's too bad. And, you know, some people are like, like, we should cancel all our streaming services, you know, make a statement and do that. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, pretty soon if there's nothing on, then you know, it may come to that. So we shall see. It's 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 horrible because, you know, I, I don't know. It, it does bug me. You know, also being a teacher, it, it just blows me away. You know, I got paid so much more money running Comic Vine than I than I did than I, you know, teaching. It, it, it's, it's crazy. And it, it shouldn't be that way because, you know, teaching, teaching being a nurse, you know, the medical, you know, the doctors, I guess doctors make a lot, but you know, I don't feel, I don't feel like nurses are, are paid what they should be. You know, I, I, I feel, I don't think people realize like the hours and the hard work that nurses put in and, and, you know, it's all these frontline people and it's, 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 it's kind of, it, it is disgusting. Anyways, I guess we should move on. Shang-Chi, have some Shang-Chi Kind of not really much news, but uh, Sim, how, how do you say his name? Simu Liu? Liu? He said that he's pretty sure that he's going to be in Avengers King Dynasty. Uh, you know, so he's not, I mean, he, he also commented like with Marvel, nothing's ever certain. You know, you never really know until you're on set because, you know, things are, are constantly changed or, you know, stuff's reshot and everything. So, you know, you never really know. And as far as, Shang-Chi 2, he's not sure what's going on. He's like, they keep pushing it back and, you know, he doesn't know why. But probably is because with things getting delayed and, you know, they they have their phases and that that's the problem. You know, there, there's so much Marvel stuff, but they can only do so much at a time. You know, if, if they're shooting, they're planning for like, you know, three, two, three movies a year, that's going to push back Shang-Chi. And realistically, it's, it's like yeah, an Avengers movie is going to be bigger than Shang-Chi. And, you know, so it sounds like they are still committed to doing Shang-Chi 2. It's just, it, it's not going to be a top priority. And, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but you can't 
blame them. I mean, that's just just how it how it is. Um, interesting news: Kit Harrington, you know, so he played Dane Whitman, Black Knight, and he he mentioned that he was never meant to be in Blade, and you know, and he's not, you know, because at the end of of Eternals. You know, we had Blade's voice, you know, uh, off camera. And so everyone's like, oh, he's going to be in Blade. But so I don't know the whole point of that. I don't know why why they, they did that. They, they tease Blade and Eternals of all things as, a, you know, after credit spoiler. Yeah. So he, he's he's like, no, I was never going to be in Blade. And, and, you know, plus the fact that that's delayed and all that. So now he's just like he has no idea if they're gonna use his character like when he so he's just kind of like waiting around because he, he he would love to because he thinks there's there's some like cool aspects of the character that would be cool to explore but he's not sure about what what's going on um Haley atwell she was kind of frustrated with multiverse of madness uh uh captain carter's scene in there and she says that it it kind of left her with like egg on her face because, you know, as you know, I'm sure we can spoil it now. But she's like, yeah, I could do this all day. And then <laughs> it's like, no, you can't. So I guess a lot of people kind of poked fun at at the scene or at, at the character or maybe at her. But I think that just shows the seriousness of the scene. So uh, I don't know. Oh, also, also, apparently some interesting. I, I, th- I found this interesting. Uh, th- there's a whole mystery. Like, who is uh, Peggy Carter's husband? You know, because she got married. And, you know, if you watch the, the Agent Carter show, you know, which was two seasons, you know, there, there's kind of like a couple people who were kind of front runners that could potentially be her love interest, you know, or, you know, in, in the future and all that. And then with Endgame, it's like, well, what about Steve Rogers? Because could that be it? But apparently in the Endgame scene, when she's like on her death, was it or was it? No, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I'm sorry, take that back. And Falcon and Winter Soldier, when she's on her her deathbed, apparently they they had like a family portrait to be on her her nightstand in the hospital. But then as they're like about to start rolling the camera, I forget who it was. Someone's like, uh, "Hang on, nope." Yoink, takes a, the picture away. He's like, "Yeah, we're not going to have that in there." And she's like, "Oh, that's interesting," but. So she didn't say like who who it was who was in there. Obviously, at that point it probably wasn't Chris Evans, you know. So that that's probably clear. But would it have been one of the, the dudes from the show, or is it just someone random? But they so they they left it. It's 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 still we still don't know, and uh, I I think it's kind of good that they left it like that, even though you know it would be good to know, but. I just thought that was interesting that they were going to show us in and they're like, uh, hey, let's not do that. Iman Vellani, who I think is so adorable as, as Ms. Marvel. I'm so looking forward to the Marvels. I, I'm, I cannot wait for, the, for that movie. Uh, she's going to be co-writing. I don't know how I missed this news. I don't know if, if uh, I don't think Marvel sent out a, a press release for this. Because it, it was, a, I guess it was announced in Entertainment Weekly. But usually... Maybe I don't know. I gotta check my email. So she's gonna be co-writing the Ms. Marvel comic. Actually, I don't know who she's co-writing it with, which would have been helpful if if I knew that. It's gonna be a four-issue series. And the first one when I saw this, I was like, "Wait, how is she gonna co-write this character who's dead?" Spoiler. Obviously, you know, we'll talk about that that comic later. Um, with the death, you know, we she died a few weeks ago. 
which is ridiculous. <laughs> so it's stupid. But this, um, I guess uh, she this this comic this series is coming in. It's gonna turn her like officially into a mutant. And when I saw, it, I was like, what? What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> and it even says, uh, like, I, I forget what it's like on the cover. It's like, Ms. Marvel, uh, the new mutant. And I, I was like, what? But then I was, I was like, oh, yeah, Ms. Marvel, they kind of reference. It's like, <laughs> so, um, But they, they also wanted to make it clear that this is not going to, like, rewrite or retcon her inhuman origin. So... I guess it's just a, it's a, she's going to be an inhuman and a mutant, which is possible, you know, half and half, whatever, or, you know, and you can be in, I, I mean, I don't, it's all about genes, genetics and, you know, what makes a mutant, it's, you know, you can be a mutant and have human parents. It's not like, you know, you just, it's, it's just having the, the gene, whether it's dormant or not or whatever. Uh, and you know there are some some character designs and you know or, or costume designs. You know she's wearing a belt with an X on it. I don't know if that's needed, necessary, and plus you know you know how I feel with the X Men. I, I I feel like some of the books are kind of a mess. Some of them are good. Some of them are all all over. I actually read some some <laughs> a couple that I don't normally read. Uh, I I don't know what to what to think about that. Um, and whatever, it's fine. I'm I'm sure it it'll be. Maybe, maybe be fine. Uh, there was a new trailer for Ahsoka, and I almost forgot to, to watch this. And uh, it, it looks good. I, I'm, I wasn't going to watch it because I, I hate, you know, as we get closer and closer, but it's not coming out till August. Oh, rumor is they're going to drop two episodes the first week, of course. I don't know why they have to do that. And they have to do it, you know, after school starts, starts up in, in the fall. It's like, start it up earlier so I can actually watch and not have to worry about whatever. Um, but it, it looks good. You know, we, we see Thawne. We see, you know, Sabine. I, I always l- l- love the Sabine character. I think she's so cool. And uh, there's, like, some Sith. So it's like, what what's going on? And it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, and I would just suggest watch Star Wars Rebels, you know, if you have the time. Start watching it now you know, to, to see these other characters. And uh, it, it's, I've said it before, it's good. It, it started off a little slow, but it, it, it really picked up, and it, it's, it's a good show. DC News, Nathan Phil, Fillion is going to be Guy Gardner in Superman Legacy. There's going to be so many people in Superman Legacy. It's like, what the heck is going on? So how big are these roles? Are these going to be like little tiny cameos, whatever? We have uh, Anthony Kerrigan is going to be Metamorpho. <laughs> who, who would have ever thought we'd see Metamorpho in a, a big screen, you know, actual movie that's crazy so uh this, this dude anthony kerrigan he also he played victor zaz in gotham so that, that, that's cool um isabella merced is gonna be hot girl ed uh Gethagny is mr terrific there's a there's a there's a lot going on here so it's like okay um hopefully not too much you know you don't want to overdo it this is supposed to be superman's movie but it's a Superman, you know, he's supposedly already established, so it's not, you know, they're not focusing on his origin. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, just just be careful. Don't do not do too much. Uh, there, I think there was a Blue Beetle, another Blue Beetle trailer. I did not see it. And, and this is the annoying thing, because when I saw Mission Impossible, they showed the Blue Beetle trailer. But it's the same Blue Beetle trailer from before, I think. I think. 
Because a lot of times they'll do a new trailer and it's like a lot of the same footage, but then there's like a, a second half or another part is different. or that, That's always annoying when they use the same stuff. So I'm pretty sure it was just the same trailer I saw before. Um, so I didn't see whatever this quote-unquote new one was. And um, I, I'm, I'm excited for this. It, I, I forget the actor's name. I can't pronounce it because I, I suck at saying people's names. I'm surprised I can say my own name. Uh, but, you know, Miguel from Karate Kid. So he, apparently, you know, they, they've addressed his future in DC. And, and James Gunn's like, yeah, he's he's Blue Beetle in the, the DC universe and everything. So that, that's good for him. We'll have to see. I mean, it, it could be a fun movie. And I, I hope it is. So you, I think, you know, we, we need more of that. You know, we need less serious. And I'm not saying ask me fun and jokey or whatever like that. But, you know, superhero movies should be fun and exciting. They don't have to be dark and dreary, in my opinion. And uh, the last bit of news, I believe, is uh, James Gunn, you know, someone asked him, like, hey, what's up with Doom Patrol Season 4, Part 2? Has it been shelved? And he's like, ah, I, he's, he didn't really know much about it because it's not his area, and it was, like, from before he, he came there. But he he's he's like I find it hard to believe that they would you know shelve completed episodes. He looked into it and I guess responded you know again, saying that that yes that they will be shown. There's just they don't have a release date for him yet. So it, it's weird because I I think it was like January when the last episode aired. So and it's weird because it, it's still it's still season four. It's just season four part two we're waiting on. So I don't know. But what I do know is that is going to be the news for the week. As far as comics at Image, uh, there's a new book that came out. I, I meant to read this. I, I have the issue. Uh, Antarctica, number one. So this is by Simon Burks and uh, Will Roberts, looks like. Stargates meets his dark material and a new nonstop sci-fi action blockbuster. Hannah's life imploded the day her father failed to return from the secretive Smith-Peterson Research Station in Antarctica. Alone and on the street, she's at her lowest ebb when a friend offers help. Retrained as an engineer, Hannah secures a job at the same Antarctic station to search for her father and stumbles headfirst into conspiracy that threatens everything she's ever believed. Almost sounds like it could be a bit much, but I, I, I that does sound intriguing. The art looks pretty slick. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see that, and I'm, I feel bad that, you know, I, I meant that that sounded appealing to me, so I got the issue. I just, I just failed to to read it because I, I, I suck. Um, Dark Ride issue seven came out, um, obviously, and uh, this, so this is uh, Joshua Williamson and Andre Bresson. This, this book is continuing. What are the dark secrets of this? You know, we, we have this theme park with like a horror theme to it and the dude running it, you know, from going way back to first issue, he made like a deal with like a, a demon, whatever, to, to make this this place. He actually, he killed his wife. But here, you know, he there's some some talk here. He's like, oh, he, he lost his wife. It's like, uh, you did you kill her? I'm pretty sure if, if I remember correctly. So he has his, his kids and just just the secrets, what what's going on there and uh, it's 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 I don't know what to expect from this because there there are some there are still more more secrets to the park because uh, the so his kids you know he had twins a boy and a girl and and the boy now is starting to question things he came across an, a, a park employee 
who she was actually there because her brother super into horror movies and everything he got a job there and then he apparently killed himself he hung himself at the park she doesn't buy that you know she's like he would never do that so you know after the investigation went nowhere she ended up you know faking getting in a job and uh, the son he comes across her and hears a story and he now he's starting to question things and and then you know there's there's stuff that happened with his daughter and you know because he's divorced and and you know he was like supposed to be watching her and then she ends up like carving on her wrist with a knife and like it's almost like bleeding out because like a demon had told her or something like that and uh there's a kind of another um update in this issue but i, I won't spoil that so it's just like I, where's this it, it you know it's got that that darkness going to and there's an intrigue and everything so it, it's it's a it's definitely a good book you should be checking that out um then there's deep cuts issue three three of six this is kyle higgins and joe clark um this one i believe helena massielli does uh art this is 1940s so these these are are, are interesting um issues this is a, this is a cool book you know it, it it focuses around music and each issue is like in a different time period different characters so each one is like a one shot so like like oh no i forgot to read issue two which is like something tony would say i can't read it but i could totally read issue three if i didn't read issue two because it's it's all different and everything so this this is a it's a 1940s uh see alice leslie is home for the holidays and how did he wait Oh, how did heels of her biggest mystery yet? Why did her dad quit music? Can she crack the case before he flies to coop? So her dad was like this big, you know, bass jazz musician, and now he works like at a factory or something like that. So she's like, wait, what? What's going on there? And uh, then he kind of gets the opportunity to perform again, maybe you know, at this show. And what does that mean? And um, so it's it's I, I I enjoyed it. It's 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 good. Um, Fish Flies, number one. Number one to six. This is Jeff Lemire. This is a totally Jeff Lemire book. It is, it's so, so um, fascinating. <laughs> it's cool and weird. It's just, I mean, you look at that cover. You see the, this little girl. And actually, does she have a runny nose on, on a cover? And uh, there's like some weird you know, bug, bug, humanoid bug thing standing next to her. And they're like by this silo. It's like, what the heck is going on? Um, let's see. Jeff Lemire brings you a new tale of small town surrealist horror and a special extra length debut issue. I did not mind this being extra length. Normally I'm like, because it takes longer for me to read. I, I, it totally didn't feel like, not that I sped through it or anything, but I was just, it, it just held me the entire time. When a brutal and violent crime puts the life of an innocent teenage boy in the balance, it sets off a chain of events in the bucolic Bell River, Ontario, that will permanently change several residents' lives. And as the manhunt heats up, a lonely girl named Franny Fox will form an unlikely friendship with a fugitive that leads them on an odyssey of discovery and redemption. <laughs> that that doesn't even begin to to uh, explain what it's about, but it's it's definitely an intriguing story, and you know it it's it's cool being the first issue, and you know the first issues are always. Always kind of, you know, I'm a little spectacle, some or skeptic, spectacle. <laughs> Always got a little skeptical because you know, it's it, it the, the main question is why should I care? Why should I care about these characters I know nothing about? So you know, you got to get that hook. You got to get them in there. 
And when you like see, it, it starts off with these other kids or whatever, you know, they, they play part of the story, you know, to, to set things up. But, you know, you see this girl, this little girl with a runny nose and everything like that. But then you kind of feel for her right away because, you know, her dad, you know, there's no mom in the picture. And, you know, dad works long hours and everything. Um, but it's, it's definitely... I, I'm so like intrigued with like where the heck this is going to go, and what's also interesting is at the end, uh, Jeff kind of explains where he came up with the idea for this, and this is actually an idea that he's had for years, and he actually like released like kind of in a newsletter or something like that. You know, he was he was releasing like pages, or whatever, and then it expanded and. So I, I highly recommend this. It's it's five ninety nine, and you might be like, "Oh, that's that's expensive for a single comic issue," but it is you know, extra length. So it, you know you definitely get get your you know money's worth out of that. So you should definitely check that out. Uh, let's see. Wait, hunt you to the end? Am I reading this? Um, Ryan Caddy. I don't think I read. I don't know if I read the first issue. Oh no, I did read the first issue. I need to read this. This is a this is a top cow book. After a bumpy landing, the expedition splits up to explore Isla Lodo, the most haunted place on Earth, while an away team sets out for the other side of the island. Matt um, Park and Caleb Shaw take their risky steps into the ominous ruin of the Rumusen Manor. I got to get this issue. It's it's it, it's so I, I talked about the when the first issue came out. It's kind of like in the near future, and I think a lot of resources are depleted or whatever, and so that this uh. This super skeptical guy is like hired to document this like ghost thing. He like does not believe in ghosts or whatever, but he needs the money. And so does some like rich guys like, yeah, we're going to take this trip to the most haunted place on earth. So they fly out to this island and, and there's, and then I think the the plane kind of crashes or, you know, has to do emergency landing or it's a, I, I was, yeah. So, um, I, I, I definitely need to read, read that. Um, in hell we fight number two came out. I actually, I, Never finished reading the first issue. I, I, I realized that. I got like halfway through. Uh, so this is uh, John Lehman um, doing the writing. And then Jock, different Jock, um, J-O-K, um, is, is writing this. So uh, I, I, I should finish that first. I, I, I like the characters. And I, I think it was interesting how they were gathered and, and different. So check that out. Uh, Nemesis Reloaded trade paperback came out. You know, now that I realize that, I don't know. I, I think I never read the last issue because I, I I forgot to read it, and then that's the, the problem. It's like there's just too much for me to read, and then uh, I just I just moved on from there. So um, yeah, I need to check that out, and I think that's it from from Image at Dark Horse. I, I know I don't really talk about Dark Horse much, but there's a new Gru <laughs> Gru uh, comic came out. I just happened to just look at, at the Dark Horse. But I was like, oh, there's a, a Gru, Gru to Wander, Gru in the Wild. Uh, I, I I love Sergio Aragones. And I still remember when I, I did like a short little interview with him at WonderCon. like my first WonderCon. And, and he was just such a nicest, sweetest guy. And, and I... I just, you know, Mad Magazine, his, his comics, uh, it just... It's such nostalgia, and um, so reading this this Gru book, it brought back memories because I, I loved you know when when Gru was being published through Epic, and then when then I think it went to Image. Did it go to Image or was it Dark Horse? I think it was. I feel like it was. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was Dark Horse, but 
we have a new Groot Wanderer. He, he's with Roferto, and I mean, for for better, for good or bad or whatever, it's it's the same thing. It's like it didn't miss a beat. Groot, they they kind of mention it here. It it does kind of seem like he's dumber than before, a little dumber than before, because uh, it, it says Groot Wanderer is back and stupider than ever, which is pretty stupid. A little harsh to say, but. There are something. It's almost like he's forgetting some basic words, and and Roberto's constantly trying to, you know, tell him like what what he's trying to say. Obviously, he can't talk to him. So, uh, but yeah, so he's he get lands on this island, arrives on this island, and, and people are when they see it's Gru, they're frightened of him. He's just hungry, and not not I can't say it's my favorite Gru comic of all time, but. It it was nice to to spend some time with with Gru again because it's it, it's it's been a long time. Um, let's go to Marvel. Let's let's jump over to Marvel. Let's mix things up a little bit. <laughs> oh, we have and maybe because I'm I'm usually ending with the X Men and I'm usually so like disappointed with some of the books. So maybe it'll be better not to end with Marvel. We'll we'll, we'll try this out. See how to, how this goes. Uh, Amazing Spider Man twenty nine. I can't end with this one. <laughs> so we have, oh my goodness, uh, we have um, more to the Doc Ock story, and I just I find Doc Ock so incredibly annoying here. So he's he's attacked, he's targeted Norman Osborn, and he's just he's so angry at Norman. He blames him because he he like he, basically he humiliated him. He like tore him down, you know, whatever, did all this stuff. And uh, even though Norman, you know, because he, he like captures Norman, you know, he, he like so easily hacks into his system, which which really bugged me. Because Norman's supposed to be pretty smart. And, and, and yeah, Doc Ock's pretty smart, but I don't, I don't know who's smarter necessarily. But at one point, Doc Ock's like, you know, admit that you've been defeated. He's like, okay, I'm defeated. Because Norman, you know, he he's not evil. And you know he he doesn't want to be evil. He's trying to be good, even though we're all like really. Um, so you know Spider Man's trying to help. <laughs> uh, Spider Man's getting a little assistance from J. Jonah Jameson because Doc Ock's former uh, arms tentacles have kind of become sentient in a way, you know, through the AI or whatever, and has sought out J. Jonah Jameson, who now you know found Spider Man. And so it's like they need to go and, and save, you know, Norman and, and stop Doc Ock and all that. So what I will say that Spider-Man is going to put on the tentacles. And uh, that makes it a little interesting. But what Doc Ock, what Otto has in, in mind for Norman could be bad. And, and yeah, it, it's going to complicate things for the book for the characters which is what you need but uh i don't i don't well i don't know about that so we'll have to see then we have a fallen friend the death of ms marvel and this was kind of weird because so it, it's been what like two weeks three weeks since since she she died uh i'm, I'm looking now because my uh a l e x a is just lit up and i didn't say the name i actually changed the name i don't even use alexa so i can say that but it's lighting up it's like it's listening don't stop anyways so it feels like ms marvel p- 
past died. Like it, it was the last issue of Spider-Man. So it was like at least two weeks ago, three weeks ago. But and now we get this book, and it feels like we've seen Spider-Man since, and maybe because I'm thinking of the Dan Slott Spider-Man book, which is not lined up current con and it is a current continuity, but not necessarily, you know, page by page next to it. So we, we get this sad book and, and it, it was kind of sad. Uh, you know, it, it was cool to, to see uh, Takeshi Miyazawa's art again in, you know, in, in the opening part of this. And, you know, we get Humberto Ramos's art, Andrea DeVito. Um, we also have uh, for writers, G. Willow Wilson, Mark Wade, and Saladin Ahmed, who have all written. Um, did Mark Wade do uh, the word? They weren't defenders, champions. I'm trying to remember if it was that was Mark Wade or not, but it, it it was a little emotional, and you know that that's obviously what what they're aiming for because you know Ms. Marvel is she's a horrible word to use for some, but she's a delightful character. You know, there's there's just something about her. You know, she is like this beacon of hope, and you know, like the promise of the next generation of heroes. Blah blah blah, or whatever. You know, it sounds super cheesy and all that, and it's just so incredibly stupid how she died but all that being said it's going to turn out that she was a mutant is, is she going to be resurrected by the the Krakoan mutant protocols or whatever but that would mean you know do they even have her her memories her you know her, her consciousness recorded then this this Shere I don't know how that works is like Cerebo like automatically record all mutants essence and so they can be brought back, uh, you know, without without anyone knowing, like, hey, oh, by the way, wait, what? Why do we have Kamala Khan's, you know, what do they call it? Is it essence memories? You know, why do we have her, a file for her? She's she's an inhuman. Oh wait, she's actually a mutant. You know, I don't know if that's how it's going to happen. So it it was um it was for for one of these annoying memorial issues. It, it was a good issue, and I I just I just cannot stand. I think it's so incredibly stupid to kill off characters and then just to bring them back just uh it just irritates me to <laughs> to no end um Groot number three i'm not reading this I, i'm curious about this because i think this take place i think these are like kind of flashback obviously it's not current um since we have Groot fall whatever the heck is going on there um immortal x-men i actually read this i i stopped reading this i, I think I'm a, i don't even know if i read the first issue but it was just it was a little too out there and too much whatever. Uh, I read this because this is kind of following the aftermath of the sinister stuff, which I kind of missed out on. Apparently, from what I gather from here, is people found out about this sinister timeline. So somehow this thing proceeded, and then somehow it was reverted back. But the whole idea is basically what Mister Sinister did is he poisoned like all the mutant data files gene files to put like some of him some of his dna into that so basically everyone was under his control and i think that's what all these sinister i don't even remember what the name is because i'm just trying to block it all out so i think that's what what that whole arc event was was basically mr sinister being in control of everyone because his essence or his dna is in everyone as they were brought back resurrected they weren't resurrected whole they were resurrected with part of him in them if that makes sense not really but it's comic books the world is now aware that, that this is all tainted 
and now they're not trusting mutants. You know, they don't trust mutants as it is. But you know, mutants have you know all these miracle medicines that they've been using. But now they're kind of like, uh, I don't know if we actually want to use this. So now they're kind of losing money, and you know, it, as uh, the council is talking, they're like, well, we you know we're not self sufficient. You know, we have this this island and everything like that. We can only do so much. We still need outside stuff. And, you know, we still need money to basically, you know, we need an income to get this other stuff. And they're probably talking about like deodorant or, or like an iPhone, you know, that they don't make themselves. So the forge could make a phone. He could probably make deodorant. So, yeah. And then some members of the council aren't allowed to have a, a, a vote because it's not entirely clear if they're infected or not. And it's just, things are a mess. And, and, um, and Doug Ramsey is just kind of listening in on this, and and he he brings up a, a good point because you know he's he's basically like the liaison for the island, and you know it, it basically like all the fighting that's going on is affecting the island, is affecting Krakoa, and you know he she tries to, to make that that point, and um he he really lays into like Professor X about, about like some stuff, and it's um he he doesn't hold back, which is you know good for Doug, but yeah. Then we have a uh, Loki issue two, gorgeous um, Dustin Nguyen cover. I, I can't get into the story. Um, it's just it's too much of that like pure Asgardian stuff. So I flipped through it. It's it's it, I'm sure it's it's a good story. It's just not like my favorite thing. Miles Morales Spider Man um, issue eight. Love the cover. Love the homage to Amazing Spider Man two thirty eight. Hobgoblin on, on the cover there. It starts off where Miles and his friends they go to like this food truck festival, and there it, 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 it was a little too much like talking about like all oh, the food they're eating this and that you know it's a lot of like humanizing the characters which is important that you have that, but some of it it just it almost felt a little too forced like with like the dialogue and just the the exchanges they're having and but whatever you know it's fine not everything needs to be you know Miles in costume fighting you know constant nonstop and everything like that. Yeah, so we, we get get a lot of that, and then um, then there, there's stuff with Hobgoblin, which I, I love Hobgoblin, but I feel like he didn't get enough of a chance to really shine here. So we'll have to see like where it's gonna go, you know, af- after this. But there there's a uh, some uh, beyond tech that's like in storage that you know he's after, and you know Miles obviously is gonna try to stop him and all that. So it could be interesting. Uh, Moon Knight issue uh, what issue is this 25 why is there no number on the cover um really cool steve mcniven cover and uh this was an an oversized issue and uh it it's it's cool uh it, it's good and, um, I, i'm just trying to like i don't want to spoil anything but you know there there's some hints because, you know, we, we have like the last days of Moon Knight coming up or the, the end is coming. I don't remember what, what they're they're calling it. But uh, he's he's fighting a foe who's uh, who's been targeting some of his enemies and trying to, you know, bait Moon Knight into coming out. Uh, it's also kind of cool because we get like some flashback stuff and we see that. Uh, uh, what's her name from the Moon Knight show? I'm totally drawing a blank on, on her, her name. But we see like her past uh with you know there's like a kind of like a, a pre pre moon night 
Mark Spector, you know, tale glimpses, whatever. So this is a good, good issue. I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really digging that. Uh, Planet of the Apes issue four. I, I felt like, you know, I, I just, I be perfectly honest, honest. I, I was kind of skimming through this and it didn't seem like a whole lot happened in this issue. You know, we have, you know, a bunch of the apes are being transported into ship and they're being attacked. So that was like a big part of it was just, you know, that the survival and, and trying to, you know, all, all that. And then there's just other things going on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still not completely sold on, on this series. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to be, but it's just, it's not fully grabbing me. Then, uh, then there's Red Goblin issue six, which I I'm not reading this, and uh, there are some interesting things with with the Goblin Nation. You know, I have like skimmed through some issues, uh, but yeah, I'm just I'm having a hard time with that. Uh, Rogue and Gambit issue five. I'm 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 not loving this series, and you know, even though I I absolutely love Rogue and Gambit, um, and one thing I I do have to comment. Uh, there's there's a couple panels you know and i i don't want to call out anyone you know whatever but it seems like there there's some pages where rogue it seems like very very well endowed and you know that that's part of the superhero aspect although it it is kind of you know she's she's wearing a skin tight costume so we're talking about boobs here boobs talk if, if even if she has big boobs if she's wearing this like skin tight I don't even know. It's it's not leather. I don't think it's spandex. Whatever it is, it's gonna be like smooshing things down. But there's just like a couple pages. There's like one in particular where she's standing there, and and it's almost like like almost in the middle of the page. There's like there's a the boobs right there, and I I get the the whole thing. Also, like flipping to the next page, she's like leaning over checking on Gambit because he's on the ground and and her, her boobs are kind of right, right, you know, right there or whatever. But it's like, unless the, the outfit is like formed to each separate boob, it wouldn't it be just like, like one, like, you know, get what I'm saying? They wouldn't be like separate boobs, like popping out. They'd be like one out kind of pushing the entire top of the costume. <laughs> Can't believe I'm talking so much about boobs. It's just so I, again, I get why they're doing it. You know, the, who are they, they selling the books to? To trend, they're trying to mostly most readers are are dudes. So it's like, oh, let's let's draw some. You know, that's why all most of the characters are are like this. But it just it it seemed a bit much, and 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 I that's not why I read comics, and I usually kind of ignore that don't really see but this kind of really stood out and i just i just think it's 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 a bit much and i and maybe some people are like oh it could never be too much but it's just like what what are we trying to you know i'm not gonna buy this book because of rogue's boobs i want to buy the book because i like the characters and it's a cool story so whatever just just my my thoughts on that um scarlet witch issue six that this was this was an interesting story because you know we we have um Wanda actually someone comes through that red door that's in her shop and when someone comes in it's like you know they they need help and you know they're like at their wits end or whatever so they, you know they they kind of come there and so you know she it, it's an alien and it and kind of stuff involves like scrolls so she's like well my son-in-law you know the the scroll emperor is married to my son 
and so they, they kind of go out there but one of the what just going on with, with boob talk here here you, you see you know Wanda Wanda has big boobs also her character has boobs has big boobs but the way she's drawn here you know Sarah Pacelli does the art and it's also Lorenzo uh, Tometa while you can see that she's got boobs it's they're not like like gigantic like rogues or just it's just it it doesn't to me it wasn't distracting when you know there are scenes i, I don't know enough about the boobs but this was it this was kind of um cool seeing wanda and wiccan and and you know doing this little adventure or whatever uh star wars bounty hunters issue 36 I, I read, skimmed, read, skimmed through this just because Boba Fett. And so apparently, which what, you know, since I'm not reading the, this issue so much or the series, is this Valance, Val, what's his name? I, I keep forgetting his, his name. He appears to have lost some of his memories. Valance, yeah. And, you know, so we have all these bounty hunters together, which is cool to, to see, you know, Bosk and Forlom and... Zusk, Zuckus, not Zuck, Zuckus, and you know, and uh, Dirge, which I never thought I'd see Dirge in a comic like outside of the the Clone Wars animated show. And you know, then you got you know Boba Fett here. So there, there's there's some cool action scenes. Um, then we have Darth Vader issue thirty six, and I'm like, wait a minute, because we we have Afra, what's her name? She's she's here, Doctor Afra. Uh, but she's also in the Star Wars comic with Luke during their whole thing. So it's like, which, uh, you know, whatever. It, it's weird that, you know, she has her own comic, but now she's like appearing in all, all these books. And yeah, so that was just, just a little whatever. And, uh, you know, Darth Vader is, is dealing with some, you know, he, his control of the, the force is kind of on the fritz. And, um, so you know he he's it's almost like it's it's been like overcharged and it's not really uh consistent so he's uh you know trying to get this one old thing to try to focus help focus his control on the force or something like that and uh i think this is i i did get a press release about a droids story arc that's coming up like evil droids or whatever and um, I think this is kind of leading up to because there's a bunch of droids that gather together, uh, and they're like anti Darth Vader because these are all droids that the Vader has has killed or chopped up at some point, and then they've managed to get themselves put back together because <laughs> they're like like uh, who here has been sliced into two pieces and someone's like or five, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you have that. Uh, and then uh, another Warlock Rebirth came out. I need to back up and, and read these. So the fourth issue is out. Uh, Web of Carnage came out. Nope, I am not going to read it. I did uh, hear that Carnage is getting a series or something like that after the Miles Morales crossover thing. I'm like, ugh. Oh, which I don't even know what happened after that because in the Miles Morales issue, he references the Carnage thing where he got like stabbed. And apparently the nanotech healed him. I don't even know. Then we had a what if dark, which is it does it doesn't even make sense for a title. What if dark Loki? So I think it's just what if dark, and then featuring Loki. Uh, the the cool thing about this, the only cool thing, is that this is written by Walter Simonson, 
Scott Eaton does uh, the pencils. So it has like an old old school Thor feel, you know, from the, the Walter Simonson Thor comics. I read some of those. They, they were fine, but you know I'm not super keen into the pure Asgardian Thor stuff. So, I mean, that being said, you know, I, I did enjoy some of the, the the Simonson stuff. You know, there were some, some cool ideas. And there's just something, I don't know, maybe I was more tolerant back then when I was reading them. But this, it, it kind of picks up on a, a certain issue. And it's like things things go majorly dark. Uh, you know, uh, basically, Loki finds a way to trick Mjolnir into getting control of it. And then... <laughs> He's just, um, just so to maybe make you want to get this, whatever. So he, there's a battle going on and he, he takes it when, you know, Thor's kind of distracted and then he comes across, he's on earth. He's like, what's going on here? And then the, the, the Mjolnir turns into his walking stick and he's kind of like, what? And then there's a Sif. And, and Donald Blake, because, you know, he doesn't have the hammer. So Loki takes the staff, <laughs> stabs him. St- he kills Donald Blake. He kills Thor. It's like, holy crap. Um, and things, and it just continues. I mean, Loki is just brutal. So, yeah, this is dark. Um, normally, with the what if, it seems like in the past 10 years or whatever, the what if books have, have all been about like how dreary and depressing can we make things? You know, if this one little thing hap- changed differently, you know, if, if uh, uh, who am I want to say, if Spider Man f- forgot to close a refrigerator door completely, the whole universe is going to end. Uh, yeah, so we have that. Um, X Force. Issue 42. I don't know if this is a conclusion, but this is a futured old man, Quentin Choir, and they're, they're trying to fight dark beasts. You know, they're in a far off future. And yeah, so it's, um, it kind of wraps things up there. And um, so one thing that I, I kind of missed, I must have skipped an issue, whatever, but I think Colossus is being controlled by his brother and some this one other mutant who can like write things and I don't know if it only works on Colossus but he can kind of like control him by writing what he's doing or whatever like that and because uh, while they're in the future Colossus is like about to tell uh, Domino you know because he he's like go to my farm when I'm not there and you know he's in he's about to say and look for it you know he's about to say something i won't get, get into that so that that has me intrigued um then there's a x-men days of future past doomsday issue one and um so with this i'm not sure how i feel about this so this is basically what's uh let me see what the 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 so it's a four issue series it's by mark guggenheim it says a cataclysm that leads to X-Men's dystopic, dystopic future. Return to the future in a tale that reveals the events leading up to the timeless original Days of Future Past. Story that inspired spin-offs, films, and more. In a world where mutants are more than simply hated and feared, but not yet slain and apprehended. The assassination of Senator Kelly comes to pass, bringing with it the Mutant Control Act. Is that what it was called? And the Sentinels on every corner, but with mutant kind on the back foot, what links will Kate Pride, Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, Banshee, Angel, Cyclops, Professor X, and the rest of X-Men go in order to find some way to survive? And what scheme of Magneto will bring about their ultimate doomsday? 
witness the 30-year descent into the dystopic, 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 I don't know, I can't, blanking on that, um, future replete with previously untold deaths of key mutant characters as we flesh out one of the most celebrated X-Men timelines in its own series for the first time. So I, I read this. It's 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 good. It's decent. Um, part of my reluctance with it is I'm like, oh my gosh, we've gone back to the story so many times. You know, there's been so many spinoffs or whatever. And I'm I'm just I I love the original story. I remember being blown away when I read it. This as a kid, I was like, holy crap! You know, you're seeing like Wolverine, you know, you know, you know getting vaporized and and all that, but. Like the, the description says, it does show that the lead up, and you know, so while it goes back, it's like, oh, here we go again, Senator Kelly and uh, all this, you know, there's a little bit of overlap, but we we do see some other stuff, which which is kind of cool, but I, I guess part of it is like, well, we know where this is going towards. I I I mean, I guess I would have to you know recommend this, this series. I, I I think it is it's it would be worth checking out because. You know, since there are other things that we don't know, you know, to fill in the the gaps and all that. So I think it could be cool. So, yeah, I, I would say give it a shot. Um, and then I think that was it at Marvel. So now jumping over to DC. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Night Terrors, Green Lantern, number one. So with, with these books... You know, some of them are cool. You know, they're they're interesting. They're intriguing. You know, with the the what dark things can you do and all that. But then it it's like that's that's all it becomes. It's like it this here's this it's a basically a fake story because it's it's all in a nightmare or something that's not really happening. You know, somehow the hero's asleep. So then it's just like, eh. so you know, we we have this Hal Jordan one where we see like things get really bad and and. Um, yeah, but then there's a, a Sinestro story by Alex Segura, which was, was kind of, kind of interesting. I will say that, uh, world's finest teen Titans. Number one, um, this, this was, was, uh, good. You know, this is Mark Wade. So it kind of, it's like in that world's finest sub universe, even though it's a regular universe. I, I don't know, but it's, a uh, it, it's cool. Um, so Emanuela Lupacino does the art. It's cool because it's like Teen Titans when they first formed. And <laughs> you see the other heroes where they're like kind of supported and everything. And Batman's like, no, you know, because there's like one thing that Robin wants to do. And Batman's like totally against. And, and there's a little bit of tension. You know, things are updated a little bit because like Roy Harper's all about like social media and like posing for the camera and getting people, you know, to, you know, you know, want ask for help, you know, having like a hashtag so they can know where to go. And, and Robin's like, stop showboating, you know, for the camera and everything. And so there's some, some cool things there. Yeah. So here's where I'm a little confused. So I'm looking at the DC, DC DC.com list and they have night terrors. Number one listed, but I already, I read that last week and other books came out. I'm pretty sure this did not click this. This did not come out Tuesday, July 11th. I mean, did I somehow read it early? Because it doesn't make sense. Because you would have, should be reading this first. I don't know. Uh, Night Terror's Robin number one. This is basically Tim Drake and Jason Todd. There's there's some some cool moments, but also some eh moments. And one of the things is like so Jason Todd's been getting like some gray in his hair a little bit lately. But here he's got like a lot of gray. 
Uh, but we see like some of their their basically nightmares come to pass. Uh, Night Terror is the Flash. It you know, basically uh, Wally West is, gets seriously injured, and Barry's like worried about it, and uh, the, the Speed Force is affected. Should he go back in time? Blah blah blah. Uh, then there's Night Terror's Shazam. This has to do with Mary Marvel. So now the, again, here's where it's weird because. I th- I th- without Mary, does Mary Marvel have Shazam power? She lost Shazam powers because now it's just Billy. But then here she has powers. But then again, it's all a dream. Whatever. Night Terror Zatanna. I I I did en- enjoy this this book, which is a uh, um, so Dennis Culver, David Baldy on art, which is really nice. Uh, but what I I think what I like about it is it's so weird. Uh, Zatanna. You know, she's just trying to protect, um, I think, Superman and Wonder Woman at the Hall of Justice. You know, they're like, they're asleep. They're unconscious. So she's trying to protect her body. So she, uh, oh, no, maybe it was Wonder Woman, a detective chimp. And so she, like, calls forth a hero, you know, using a spell. And Robot Man comes. And she's like, oh, these Doom Patrol people, I don't like them, whatever. And so she's, like, fighting alongside Doom Patrol, which was interesting and everything, Um I, I just really like their interaction, and it, it, it was a, a interesting book. Speaking of Doom Patrol, they're also saying that Unstoppable Doom Patrol 4 came out. I read that like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So I, I'm a little confused with that. And then uh, Spirit World Issue 3 came out. Uh, I'm, I'm still, I'm not totally loving this, but there's more on Cassandra Kane. You know, being in the spirit world where she should be, she can't be there, but you know, she wants to help. You know, she shouldn't be there because it's not good for her and, and stuff like that. Superman lost issue five. I'm I'm still unclear what's going on here because I I think now they're they're saying that Superman was gone for like 20 years or something like that, but that time that's not how far you know he was only gone like moments for everyone else but somehow he lived this whole like 20 year time and there's a part where he's like at the daily planet and he's kind of like in in a daze because he's like he kind of doesn't really know these people you know even though he worked with them for so long it's like he hasn't seen them in like 20 years so it'd be you know it's 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 like if you go back to your your high school reunion and it's like okay yeah you kind of you think you remember everyone but you're like wait who is that so uh, it, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of weird. Uh, I mean, then when we're getting these other f- flashbacks, and I, I may not have totally read issue four, but then there's these people, because there's like this Green Lantern. Uh, I don't know if Superman like trained her. They found a ring, you know, whatever. He kind of helped guide her into being a Green Lantern. But then there's like other insinuations, maybe. I don't know. Um, Danger Street issue seven. Um I, I don't really know where this series is going. Uh, I'm I'm am kind of interested in some of the characters, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see where that's gonna go. And then uh, the there's a Batman Incorporated issue ten. Did not read this. I'm I'm assuming this is continuing with uh It doesn't say on a cover. I don't know if this is yeah Joker Incorporated. I I just I can't can't do that. Um, DC also lists Wildcats issue nine, but I think I read that last week, so I'm, I'm a little confused with that. And uh, oh, then there's Superboy Man of Tomorrow. I, I'm not super crazy about Superboy on you know out in space, and you know he's working with these. Oh, I forget what they're they're calling themselves, but there's you know the one dude. He's a little questionable, and um, 
things really come out. So Connor really he finds out the truth about you know what what this guy is doing, what he's playing, and uh, Connor kind of kind of gets uh, screwed over big time. <laughs> and uh, I think that's it. So that that let's just cut it there. Let's not dilly dally. That's gonna be comics for the week. All right, with uh, the crowded room. Whew. Oh boy. So uh, season uh, episode seven, the crowded room is actually the episode is called the crowded room. So there's ten episodes in this in this show. So yeah, let's just get to it. things. Things kind of get they they get very interesting. Um, it it does feel like we're getting close to the end. Things, if if I were to critique, which I you know it's obviously is part of the reason we're here, uh, it it does kind of feel like it it takes a jump, you know, because there there's a, I'll, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it when we get to that. So it it starts off there's there's an eclipse coming. Uh, they play time by Pink Floyd. So if you know that you know it's, it's very fitting. It's very um, it's it's immediately sets like a vibe going on. People are looking at the sky in the city. Danny's in a cell. Then, you know, Raya looks out her doorway. She has a videotape in her hand and she, and she goes to Rikers because, you know, she wants to tell Danny about he has, you know, multiple personalities, but, you know, he may not be ready for that. So Danny's waiting in, in the meeting room when, when she comes in and, you know, she asks how he slept and he's like, I don't know, not good. Then she's like, "Did you see? There's, did you see the clips?" And he's like, "No, just a light. You know, it's pretty weird though, because there's really not really any windows in the cell, I guess." And then she's like, "Carl Jung thought eclipses were harbingers of rebirth." And Danny's like, "Who?" And she's like, "A psychiatrist. Never heard of him. He's pretty famous." And he's like, "No, because Jack had mentioned earlier that you know he preferred Jung to to Freud." Then um, he's like, "You okay? You seem a little nervous because you know she's knocks some stuff or you know she drops something or whatever like that." And, and she, she's like, he's like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I am a, a little, you know, today. He's like, is that why you're clumsy? Because you're not typically. And she sets her folder and the videotape and a notebook on a table. She sits and she's like, that's very perceptive of you. And he's like, why are you nervous? She's like, I'm going to ask you a question. Why are you here? And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, here with me. And Danny's like, because of what happened at Rockefeller Center. And she's like, but why are we talking about it? And Danny's like, you're helping me get ready for my trial because even if I didn't fire the gun, I'm complicit in a crime that was committed. So she just like nods. And she's like, well, last week we talked about Jack and you going to London. Did you know that Jack came to see me? And there's like a pause. Danny's like, no. He's like, that's not possible. He's in London. She puts the glasses on the table. Are these Jacks? He just like grabs them. He's like, it's it's in my guidebook. You got his number from from the guidebook. Is that that how you found him? But then he's like, no. It's like I I tore it up. He's like, wait, did the police put it back together? He's like, how did you get these? And he's just like asking, like firing off all these questions. She's like, Danny, your mind is extraordinarily good at rationalizing, at unspooling narratives in real time, at making the improbable possible. You've had a lifetime of it. I told Jack that I wanted you to have a better understanding of what we're doing here. He was against it, but I persuaded him because he wants what's best for you, and you know, so do I. Do you believe that? And you know, Paul, she's like, do you trust me? He's like, what do you mean? She's like, it's a simple question. He's like, no, it's not. And she's like, okay, fair. And she's, you know, pause. She's like, you noticed that I was nervous. It's because there are some things that happen at Rockefeller Center that we haven't talked about yet. And I'm worried that when we do, they will upset you. And he's, you know, he's like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. And she's like, I know. 
So she grabs a tape and she says she wants to show him something. And, you know, she, she walks over to like a, you know, there's like a, a TV VCR, like on a, a little cart. Then he's like, what's on the tape? She wheels it over to the table and she's like, typically I wouldn't do this so soon, but the trial's coming up fast. And he's like, what's on the tape? She's like, I think we should just watch it together. Okay. He's like, I don't know what this is. He's like, I, I would like it to be done. And she's like, I'm sorry, but we don't have any more time, Danny. And he likes, he stands up. But then he sees, you know, on, on the screen, black and white camera footage. And she's like, the jewelry store across the street had a new camera. They didn't find the footage until recently. He like slowly sits back down. She's like, it's a copy. The original is in evidence. And then you see like Marlon was running and then Danny's like running after him, like shooting. And then she like pauses or like, it like stops like with him at the bottom of the screen. And then he like looks at her. He's like, you've done something to the tape. And she's like, no. He's like, it's a trick. She's like, it's not a trick. And I think somewhere inside you, you know that. So, you know, she like stops the tape. And she's like, there was no one at Rockefeller Center except you, just you. You were the shooter, Danny, not Ariana, only you. It was always you. And, you know, the the camera kind of pans as he's just sitting there. And then there's someone behind him. And whoever this is like bends down and it's Yitzhak. He puts his hand on Danny's shoulder and he's like, sleep. So then Danny slinks over. Then Yitzhak, it's like, big mistake, lady. So he's in Danny's body now. So he like he stands up. He's like, you make big mistake. And she looks at him. She's like, Yitzhak? So it cuts to the, the intro and everything. And then we see Danny's asleep on the grass. He like slowly opens his eyes and he sees the clips in the sky. He looks around to see like where he's at. And then he sees a barn. Like just you know nearby walks over to it opens the door steps inside and there's like this huge drop and, and we get like an overhead shot of like several floors going like way down there's some stairs like like off to the side so he starts you know, walking down to like a lower level and we see there's water dripping down kind of like in the, the flashes that we've seen when i've said like what is going on where are these bodies are like in this, this place like flooded so then there's a voice like all right listen up and he like walks towards like the the muffled talking and he's like, I said, let's be fudging cool. Like, this is BS. You got to let me in there. I'm not afraid of the guard. And then Yitzhak's voice is like, everybody told you to leave the boy alone. You're making a terrible mistake. So then you can see, like, like uh, he can see a bunch of people, like, on, on the other side of this wall. And Jack's like, God, I'm such a fudging idiot. I shouldn't have listened to her. And Johnny's like, let me out. He's like, I can ha can handle her. And Mike's like next to him. He's like, poop, man. She's going to call the guards. So this right here, obviously what's going on, we're inside Danny's mind. So this means that as, as I w wondered that, you know, so we know it's conf confirmed. Johnny is not real. And this also means Mike is not real. So Jack's like, you know, so she's going to call the guards. And Jack's like, that would be less than ideal. It's like, Mike, if you wouldn't mind... So all of them, except for Yitzhak, turn around and they see Danny's there. And, you know, because Yitzhak's like, you hear me? The boy was fine. The boy was safe. Mike's like to, to Danny, he's like, you're not supposed to be here, man. And Johnny's like, oh, Danny. And Jack like walks to him. He's like, I'm afraid he's right, my boy. You really shouldn't, at least not like this. And Danny's like, what's going on here, Jack? And Yitzhak's like, don't send him out there. He's like, he won't make it. And he like steps forward and he sees himself like lying on the ground, like sleeping. And he like rolls over and Johnny's like, it's like, what the fudge was that? And Mike's like, how's that even possible? And then Jack's like, you know, quite frankly, it shouldn't be. So he's like, did he 
go into Danny's body and Yitzhak's still ta- talking loudly. It's like, you piss me off, you hear me? And he, like, he moves his arm. In meeting room, Danny slash Yitzhak slides a table over with like a thrust and Raya kind of jumps back like out of her seat. And she's like, Yitzhak, what are you doing? And he's like, you piss me off. So and at the bar in the other place, Johnny's like, I can do it. And Jack's like, that's a wonderful idea. Let's put a junkie in charge of our fates because that always worked so well in the past. And he's like, fudge you, Jack, I'm clean. And he's like, no, Mike. Mike's like, nah, no. He's like, I can't do it right now. Yitzhak kicks her chair in, in the, the, the prison room or the, the conference, whatever. He kicks her chair out of the way and he's still approaching her. And she calls him. She's like, Yitzhak, stop. In the barn, Johnny's like, he hurts her. Things are going to go to poop. And Mike's like, he's not going to touch her. It's like, you know how, how he is about women and kids. Jack's like, well, what about the guards? And Mike asks Jack, he's like, why don't you take the spot if, if you're so decisive? He's like, because I need to think. Yitzhak, Danny, meanwhile, he's like, I'm not fudging with you. You tell many lies. In the barn, Johnny's like, you got to let me in there. If he hurts anyone, we're going to go to solitary. Mike's like, I told you this, you know, where this was going to go when you started dealing. And Johnny's like, so this is my fault? He's like, so how do you put food on a table, you goody two-shoes piece of poop? He's like, I said we're going to end up in jail and look where we are. And the prison, Raya's like, the guards are right there, Danny. It's like, and you can hear like one calls the other. like, let's move, let's go, move. Yitzhak, Danny's like, I'm not scared of them. And he grabs a chair, he throws it at the door. And the barn jack yells, oh, for fudge's sake, Mike. Two guards enter and then Raya's like, stop, stop, you'll make it worse. Jack's like, think of Danny, come on, Mike. So he looks, he switches places with Yitzhak. So then you can see Danny's stance and kind of look, his look changes. And Raya's like, we're good, right, Danny? Is that you? And it's really Mike. He's like, yeah, we're good, sis, we're good. And he puts his hands up and he then puts them behind his back and they cuff him and they like, you know, drag him out. He's like, we're good. It's okay. And she's like, I'm trying to help you. And the guards just like, you know, take him out of the room. Back in the barn, quote unquote barn. We, it's so time has passed. The others are like playing game. Jack and Yitzhak are playing cards. Mike is like, he's like playing pretend um, basketball. But in the prison, I guess, apparently he's, he really is playing basketball, you know, because he's playing with some others. So Yitzhak's like, how did what happened happen? He never came here awake before. And Jack's like, the system is breaking down, I'm afraid. And Yitzhak's like, what system? Jack's like, us. The subject cannot hold. So Yitzhak apologized for losing his poop so bad. And Jack says that Yitzhak isn't there for his conversational skills. They need him to lose his poop now and then. But unfortunately, this is a problem that can't be solved by fisticuffs. He blames himself, says that Raya was hideously persuasive. He's like, the best ones always are. And Yitzhak's like, the best what? And Jack's like, liars. Yitzhak's like, so we're not letting him talk to the doctor lady anymore? Jack's like, I think we've just seen compelling evidence that that relationship is no longer productive, don't you? She's becoming dangerous. That seems not very much likely to me, Jack. Is that right? Are you an expert now? And in danger? Yeah. And he gets up. So when do we wake him up? And Jack's like, we don't until we have a plan. Do you know what happens when they diagnose you with a psychiatric disorder in this country? And he's like, they try and cure you. As far as she's concerned, where the diseased to cure Danny means getting rid of all of us. Yitzhak's like, that's crazy. We're the only ones keeping Danny alive. As I said, we need a plan. Meanwhile, Danny's still playing basketball. And Johnny's just like watching from, you know, off to the side. Then uh, we see Danny's woken up by several clock chimes and alarms. Or maybe, you know, actually it might just be time from Pink Floyd again from the song. He gets up out of his bunk. It's time to eat. 
now it must be Johnny in charge because he asks an inmate. He's like, hey, do you, do you know where I can score some blow? And, the, you know, he's in line for food. And the guy's like, keep your fudging voice down, piece of poop. So, so then he just sits at a table. And this, this other dude sits and he's like, hey, I got your order. Johnny, Danny, he's like, excuse me? And the guy's like, he's this older guy. He's, he's like, what you're asking for? You said you wanted more? And he hands him a package like under table. And Johnny, Danny's like, that was fast. He opens it and he questions. He's like, art supplies? He's like, not the exact ones, but they're pretty close, right? And Johnny, Danny's like, what the fudge am I supposed to do with some crayons? And the guy's like, I don't give a poop. He's like, stick them up your butt or something. He's like, then uh, Johnny, Danny's like, he's like, I don't want them. He's like, trade them back. And the guy's like, don't nobody want those, man. Now pay up. And he's like, for some fudging crayons? He's like, are you nuts, dude? Come on, look. It's like, I need some Coke. Help me out here, please. And the guy looks at him. He's like, are you playing me? And then he like spits in Danny Johnny's drink and he gets up. Then later in the prison weight room, he goes up to some guys. And he's like, hey, which one of you a-holes can get me some blow? And one, the one guy's like, fudge off. So Johnny slash Danny's like, oh, I take it that means you. What's up? And he's like, this uh, another guy off the side. He's like, yo, is this punk ass for real? Danny's like, I, I need, you know, just anything to hold me over. And the guy gets up. He's like, don't you understand English? Fudge off. And he like shoves him. And Johnny, Danny's like, whoa, what is your problem, dude? He's like, you're my problem. Then the guy he, he talked to in the food line comes up. He's like, hey, this little beep just welched on Marcelo. And then he's like, that's what we would call a misunderstanding. So then he slugs him hard in, in the barn. Johnny's down on the ground. And he's like, come on, I was going to pay. It was just a joke. Then he like, he gets kicked. Then again, third time, Yitzhak has his head down on the card table. He finally like wakes up. He goes over to Johnny, shoves him out of the way. In the prison, Danny, um, he just delivers a heart. You know, he gets up. He gives him a hard punch to the guy, knocks him down. He's like, I destroy you, mother trucker. <laughs> And then uh, the guy like swings, Danny slash Yitzhak ducks, uh, delivers like a kidney blow, and then two more, bam, bam, knocks him down. So Jack yells at, at Johnny, calls him childish and irresponsible. Mike curses him too. He's like, like, what's wrong with you? In the prison, the guards come in yelling. He's like, down, 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 everybody down. He's like in the weight room. He's like, get on the ground. Yitzhak delivers a hard kick to the guy's face. And then he grabs like a metal dumbbell. And, and the guard's like, get down. And he's like, put that down. Drop it now. Jack's like, Yitzhak. He's like, I've got this old boy. So he, he tags him out. And in a proper voice, he's like, gentlemen, please allow me to explain. He sets the weight like back on the shelf. And two guards like rush. <laughs> it's hard for me to do that. They rush and like, like tackle him, knock him over. And then he's taken to a cell in cuffs as, as a guard in customs. He's like, you're going to look like poop at your hearing tomorrow. Because he's got like a black guy coming. Soraya pulls up the next day. She's sitting in her car. The legal aid dude, Stan, he like knocks on her window, like kind of startles her. So I, apparently the judge agreed to meet them. And she's like, oh, isn't this a good thing? He's like, well, I didn't say that. He's like, I said, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, because he's, he's not too optimistic. But she's like, well, they have to accept the diagnosis. He's too you know sick to stand trial. And, you know, he needs to be in a hospital. She's like, they have to see that. And Stan's like, they don't have to do anything. So he comments how, you know, she's doing this for a career or whatever. And she says, she's like, I'm trying to help, you know, him. And Stan says, well, typically the DA likes a plea bargain. So he, but he says that the public won't necessarily like it if he goes, if he you know, gets off scot-free. And she's like, I'm talking about a secure mental facility. And Stan's like, well, you know, paper cell and scandals. That's exactly what this would be if it doesn't go to trial. And she's like, you know, why are you going along with this if you don't believe in it? 
And he's like, well, a long shot is still a shot. And he's like, plus, you know, I hate going to court. And then he asks if, if anything else came up in her chats that he should know about. And she says that ever since he saw that video footage, she's been totally withdrawn. And Stan's like, well, why did you show him? And she's like, well, I wasn't going to let him hear about his diagnosis for the first time at proceeding. You know, reaction to this is unpredictable. He could have gone, you know, catatonic. You know, he was an inch away from assaulting me and he likes me. You know, he could have attacked a judge or a lawyer for the other side. So then Stan's like, okay, so he knows now that he's more than one person. And she's like, maybe a lot more than one. So then in a conference room, there's this Dr. Whitman dude. He's introduced to them. He's He's a world-renowned psychiatrist and author of five medical journals specializing in mental illness. He's also an honors recipient of the American Psych Psychological Association's E.L. Thorndike Award. So the, the judge asks if he's assessed uh, the defendant in uh, relation to the, you know, the defense's reported diagnosis. And the dude's like, uh, no, your honor. He's like, after reading Dr. Goodwin's report, I didn't need to. He's like, I can't diagnose someone with a condition that doesn't exist. And she's like, are you serious? And the doctor's like, multiple personality is not recognized as an emotional disorder by the American Psychiatric Association. She's like, it's listed in the ICD. And he's like, it's listed as a form of hysteria. And she's like, you can't just decide a diagnosis doesn't exist. And he's like, it's an emotional neurosis. It's not a mental disorder. And the judge is like, he cuts off right. He's like, this is not a free-for-all. If you can't keep your opinion to yourself until the appropriate time, you may be asked to leave, doctor. So he's kind of condescending to her, because probably because she's a woman, and it's the 70s. So the other doc continues, to claim that someone can't stand trial for a violent crime due to a disorder that the vast majority of medical profession doesn't even acknowledge is real, in my view, is ludicrous. He's like, I'm sorry, but that's my professional opinion. So the judge is like, thank you, doctor. Let's bring the defendant in, shall we? Stan's like, well, we'd, we'd like to talk about some other findings. And the judge is like, we've all read Dr. Goodwin's report. Let's see for ourselves, shall we? So Danny's brought in. He has a bruised face. And Ryan's like, are you okay? And he's like, quietly, he's like, yeah. So then she's like, what happened to your face? But he doesn't answer. Then she's like, Danny, listen, I know this could be scary, but these people are going to help you, even if it doesn't seem like that at first. So you need to just tell them the truth, and we're going to be able to get you the treatment you need, okay? The judge explains, you know, this pretrial hearing is just for them to make sure that he's treated fairly. Um, the, the, then the district attorney for the, the case, Patricia Richards, she starts talking to Danny, and she's like, do you know where you are? And he's like, a meeting room, Rikers Island. And she's like, how is it you came to be here at Rikers Island? And Danny's like, for an incident involving a firearm at Rockefeller Center. And she's like, and do you understand that you're due to stand trial for the incident? He's like, yes. Do you know what that means? And Danny's like, that a jury will decide whether I'm guilty or innocent. And she's like, thank you, Danny. You did really well. And she's like, that's all I need. And he kind of like shyly glances over at Raya. And she's like, like looking at him. Then the judge tells her she's up and she's like, wait. And judge like, is there a problem? And Stan's, he's, he's like, no. And she's like, yes. But Stan's like, like, no, your honor. So Stan's like, hi, Danny. It is Danny, isn't it? The other doctor kind of laughs. Danny's like, yes, sir. It's Danny. So Stan says that he just has just a couple questions and then they're done. He's like, can you tell us who you're with in Rockefeller Center on the day of the incident? And he's like, with? He's like, well, there's uh, lots of people there, obviously. You know, people on the sidewalk coming out of shops. And 
And Stan's like, right, but who was with you, Danny? And he kind of chuckles. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I don't really understand the question. So Stan's like, who did you go to Rockefeller Center with? And Araya whispers to Stan, it's not Danny. And he, he just like says, he's like, stop to, to Araya. So Danny's like, no one. He's like, I was alone. So Stan's like, but you know you said in your statement that you were with someone else. That there's someone with a gun. You And the judge says, no leading. So Danny's like, honestly, sir, I was alone. And if you don't believe me, then I suggest you watch the video. So Raya's like, it's not Danny. And the judge's like, quiet, please. So Stan continues, in your sessions with Dr. Goodwin, you spoke at length about your housemates, Ariana and y- uh, Yitzhak. So can you tell us about them? And Danny's like, well... Ariana and I had a connection as soon as I saw her, and Yitzhak came with her. Before I knew it, we were living together. And Stan's like, and how would you describe them? So then he's like, uh, Ariana is, is kind, calm, and, you know, somewhat like a tabby, only softer, maybe more like a Burmese, whereas Yitzhak is feral, and you re- really wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of him. So Stan cuts him off. And he's like, Danny, I'm a little confused here. He's like, well, you asked me about Ariana and Yitzhak. Raya's like getting annoyed, and Danny's like, my cats. So then we see Jack is sitting in the barn, taking the lead. Raya stands. She's like, this isn't, this is not Danny. She's like, your honor, this is Jack. This is one of Danny's alter eagles. The judge is like, I said quiet. Like, one more word, and I'll have you removed from this room. So he's, again, he's so condescending to her. He's like, now sit down, doctor, please. So Stan's like, I don't have anything else. You know, there's nothing else he wants to ask his client. And the judge asks Danny to wait outside. And he quietly says, he's like, doctor, as he, as he goes to leave. Uh, the judge is, is ticked off now because he described his pets. He's like, you know, wh- what is this? And Raya, you know, tries saying again, it wasn't. And then he's like, did I ask you to speak? So then the saying, he's like, counselor, I prepare for trial pronto. And he's like, your honor, please, if I could have a minute. And then judge tells Stan, he's like, if you want to do your client right, don't piss me off. And when you talk, it pisses me off. So Stan runs, you know, up to the DA out in the hallway. He's like, look, he's like, uh, he's like, he pleads guilty. You drop the charges down to a misdemeanor and he, he goes away to a mental hospital for a long time. She's like, you're joking, right? He's like, come on, Patty, it's a good deal. She's like, for your client, my bosses would have my butt. And Stan's like, he doesn't belong in a prison, okay? He needs treatment. She says that, she's like, he shot a firearm into a crowd of unarmed people and fled the scene. And Stan's like, but he's got a disease, Patty. Don't you see that? And she's like, so he gets a pass? He's like, well, I think that a, a mental hospital should suffice. You know, he deserves a benefit of doubt here, doesn't he? He's like, a second chance? And she's like, I'm going to make you a wager, Stan. When I look hard at him, and I'm going to look at him real hard, I'm going to find a history of violence. I'm going to find that somehow he managed to slip through the cracks. He shot people in Midtown in broad daylight, and you want a pass? Rikers is filled with young black and brown men who did far less. Where was their pass? Where was their plea bargain when they needed a break? Your client will get the benefit of the doubt because he has a privilege of a justice system that was built for people who look like him because he's a white dude. But he's not going to get a pass for me. So no, I'm not going to plead him out. We're going to go to trial. Raya comes out of the room. She sees Danny's like still sitting cuffed in the hall. She's like, you think you won? Do you know what a federal prison is like? It makes this place look like a summer camp. You think that Yitzhak can protect him? Yitzhak still only has Danny's body weight. You're all still just one person. They're going to eat you alive in there. And I hope this little ruse was worth it to you, Jack. And she just like walks away. So Danny's still asleep in the barn. He kind of like rolls over. And Johnny's like, now what? 
And Jack says, well, you know, they, they stand trial. You know, they take their punishment like a man. Do what they always do. They survive. And Mike's like, he's like, he can't handle a whole trial. And Johnny's like, I can do it. And he's like, or, or not. And Mike's like, well, what about what, what she says happens in prison? Jack's like, she has no idea what we're capable of. And Yitzhak surprisingly says, what if the woman is right? And Jack's like, about what? Maybe we are the problem. Maybe the boy needs to stand on his own two feet. Mike's like, what the fudge you saying, man? He, you know, he, he needed us to survive, yes, but maybe not anymore. Mike's like, what? Like he's grown out of us? Then Yitzhak's like, Jack, you are always saying face the music, you know, right? And he's like, yes. So maybe it's time for Danny to do that. Johnny's like, this is BS. Danny needs us. And Mike's like, maybe he's right. And then Jack's like, you understand what you're suggesting here, old boy, don't you? And he's like, yeah. So Johnny's like, so we just fudging die? Yitzhak's like, is it so bad to make this kind of sacrifice? And he's like, you mean you're fudging with me? And Mike's like, shut up, Johnny, for once in your life. And Jack like scoffs. It's amazing, isn't it, to love someone so much you want to protect their existence so fiercely you do anything, you die for them. And Yitzhak nods and Jack pulls out a gun and shoots him. It's like, what? And Mike and Johnny are shocked. And Jack's like, or killed for them. Sorry, old friend. He simply can't can't survive without us but it's like okay so yitzhak was their only protection when it came to fisticuffs so what are they going to do now without fisticuffs so later ariana wakes danny up in the barn and he like he sees her and he hugs her he's like oh, i've been so worried about you and she's like yeah it's good to see you he's like they they kept asking you know where you went and they they think i did something to you she's like i'm good it's cool he's like no it not it's not it's not not cool it's like i'm in some deep poop and she's like don't worry we're going to figure it out and he like looks around he's like where the fudge are we she's like you're the most important person in in my life do you know that and he's like you're freaking me out she's like we have a connection, right? He's like, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, and that connection, it's because I kind of live for you, Danny, because I am you, Danny. We're all you. So this is what I was saying where it, it seems like it, it kind of takes a, takes a jump. I'm not really sure what the point of this is, you know, because they're like, he shouldn't know. Jack's complaining that it was he shouldn't have listened to Raya, that she should know. But now Ariana's there. And and she's basically saying the same thing that you know we're we're all all you, so she looks you know over and like the other three are there, and then he's like, I was alone at Rockefeller Center, you weren't with me, and she's like, I was with you in here points his head and here and points his like his chest, and he's like, but you left me. She's like, I never left you, I never will, and Jack's like, none of us want to leave you, dear boy, and she's like, we're only here to help you, and Jack's like. That's what we do. And then she's like, can't go back to sleep for this time, Danny. We need each other. And he's like, for what? And she's like, to live. It's empty when you're asleep out there. Sometimes I sneak in when no one's watching to dream with you. We come when you need help or too lonely or too scared. I, you know, I come here to take your loneliness. You know, Being close to other people is just too painful for you. It hurts too much. And so that's when I, I show up. And Danny's like, have you always known that you're not real. So again, Jack is taking part of this. It's like, okay, why did you just kill Yitzhak? So he's like, have you known that you're not real? And she's like, no, not usually. Only when we're here, like now. And so now they're at a place on, on, or a level in a barn where there's water. And 
then he's like, are there other people like me? And she's like, no, Dan, you're special. So he like takes a step into the water and she's like, you made us, all of us. And then they see someone like in a corner and there's like, and he's like others. And he's like, who are all these people? And she's like, they're all you. They each had a purpose at one time or another. It's like, not anymore. And Jack, she's like, Jack calls them undesirables. And he's like, Yitzhak? She's like, Jack mostly stays behind the scenes. But if things get too out of control, he sorts us out. And Jack's like, indeed. See what happened with Marlon and Adam in this barn? It made you want to die, Danny. Do you remember? But you, you didn't. You broke like a piece of glass. You broke into many pieces. All you... You know, all separate guardian angels here to help you live. And he's like, why are you telling me this now? And Ariana's like, something's changed. And Jack's like, you came here, Danny, awake. Now that's never happened before. It shouldn't. That woman wants to take us away from you. She wants to destroy us. He's like, Raya. And Jack's like, she believes we are a sickness. She wants to send you to a place where they'll give you medications and treatment to try to kill us. Mike's like, we wouldn't be able to help you. And Ariana's like, they don't understand what you need, but we do. And Jack's like, I'm afraid that if we all die, you die too. So Danny's like, what do you want me to do? And so Jack's like, well, you need to get rid of her. It has to be you because she'll know if it's one of us. Tell her you want her to have no connection with your case at all, but that you cannot and you will not plead insanity. He's like, but then I'll go to jail. And Jack's like, it may not be a significant sentence. No one was badly hurt after all. And Ariana's like, and I really need your help, Danny. We all do. Jack's like, you know what to do, my boy. And you know what you should do. And he just like nods. And he's like steps into the light. He turns and looks at them. But then he like looks up and like takes control. So I guess the idea is they're like, okay, this, this something weird's happened. You know, he, he's, he's here. He's not supposed to be here. So they're like, okay, we have no choice. We have to convince him that he's, you know, he needs us. And that he has to, you know, stop seeing Raya. So Danny wakes up in prison. And then he's in a meeting room. Raya comes in. And she's like, you know, I get that. I am of no significance to you, Jack. And yes, this journey has included some enlightened self-interest on my part. Sure. But making a fool of me is very hard to swallow, considering all I've been trying to do is help you. I know you, that you can hear me in there, Danny. And if you wanted to fight a little bit, you could. But you clearly want to go to prison, or you wouldn't have put on that fantastic fudging performance yesterday. So be my guest. I put my entire fudging career on the line for this BS. And she sighs. She's like, I don't know why to fudge I came. And you know she's just like standing. Then Danny whispers, please. He's like, there are voices in my head. There's other people in here. And she's like, I'm begging you, help me, please. And she looks at him, she's like, I'm here. So it's just like when you when you, you see him say just the the look on, on Tom Holland's face when he's like pleading with her, he's like, Help me. You know, he's like begging her to help because he he knows that he needs her, that she's trying to help him. And then he's got these other voices like saying the opposite. So the, I guess the question is, you know, how can can he resist him or, you know, because Yitzhak came and made him, you know, sleep. So is he stronger now that he was eight since he, he went there? We'll have to see. But uh, the judge is already like ticked off and I don't know. So we'll have to wait and find out.
All right, then with Hijack season one, again, probably maybe the only season. It would make sense if it's the only season. Uh, episode four, Not Responding. So I, 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 I'm enjoying the show. I mean, uh, this, this is an interesting episode. It's, it's almost, what, what I think what I like about this, what I'm trying to say is, so it's Idris Elba. And, you know, going back to what I mentioned in the, the, with the first episode, I thought this was going to be like, oh, Idris Elba, action star, you know, he's going to take down this plane full of terrorists and, you know, save the day and everything like that. But it's, that's not necessarily the case. You know, so as as far as we know, you know, all we know about him is that he's a negotiator. I, f- I feel like there's more to it than that, but so far, you know, there's there's no hints, you know, to suggest that. And he's not really doing anything, you know. There there's really not a whole lot of action involved, you know. But it it's you know he he's it's it's more he's using his brain and and he is using you know trying to get into the mind of the other person as he mentioned like last week in the last episode. But um, what's interesting about this episode, too, is it doesn't, like, fully focus on him because, as you remember, last episode, it ended with, with uh, him staring at uh, that Marcus dude, pointing a gun at him. He's like, I know it's not real, but we know that there's real bullets on the plane. And then there's a gunshot, and then it just, like, stops. Or, or you, know, it, you know, that was the end of the episode. So it's like, okay, what happened? Did he, did he, he get shot? Like what? What's going on? So, there, there, you know, there's a reason there's no Idrisalbo, <laughs> or you know, at least not much of him. It starts off. People are screaming. the The boss man dude, he's like yelling. Everyone like stay down. Walks back up to the cockpit. He he calls up up like Arthur, the flight attendant, tells him he's like get on the intercom and tell him they got ten seconds to sit down and shut up. Otherwise, we'll, we'll do another one. And then he starts like you know delivering the message. We see uh. Uh, number two, whatever, and the other flight attendant, they head to the back. And then we're, we're showing like a pool of blood on a carpet and there's a close-up like a bullet casing, which is weird that the, the bullet lands right in the blood, whatever, but whatever. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> that that annoying mom, she's still looking for her daughter, Lizzie. She's disappeared. She's calling out her name. You know, everyone's supposed to sit down, but her daughter's missing. Then boss man, he's like, makes him do a countdown from 10 so he's like 10 9 the, the mom's like on her knees she's in the aisle she's looking and then somehow lizzie comes running up she's she made it all the way to the, the next section above and then bearded guy comes up and because you know mom's like hugging her daughter in the aisle and then he's she's supposed to be in her seat and bearded guy's like there and this bearded guy he's he's got like the worst temper and then he's just like he's like go and he's like, you know just to get in her seat we see a shot of the, the the blood and the bullet again. There's a body in the ground, but it's like, okay, whose body is that? Because we just see like the bottom of a shoe, kinda, and you can't really see because it's like the the body's out of focus. It's like, is that Sam? Then we see Marcus is holding a gun at at Sam. It's like, so at first I'm like, is this a flashback? And then, but then I was like, no, it's not a flashback. So I was like, wait, did the the prison guy get shot? They, you know, they made him sit down, and Sam whispers to to Marcus t- Terry he's like what did you people just do and Terry or Marcus he's like just he's like kneel down and he tosses like zip ties at, at Sam to you know tie up his hands at the air traffic control Alice is talking to the Romanian air traffic control and, and she's like she's going on she's she politely ends the class she's like yes I, I don't know anything you know it's, it's at the higher ups and blah 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 like that you know she there's nothing she can tell her then we see a body being shoved into like a bathroom by bearded guy number two. 
So then the boss man goes to cockpit. He goes to get more bullets in his gun. Bucharest starts calling on the radio. And he, like, tries turning it off the radio. But then he just, like, hits, like, the headset, like, on, on the seat. But the, you can still hear the radio. They're like, if you fail to respond, we'll be forced to take action. The situation will escalate. Lydia uh, is, so she's in charge, like, on, on the ground. She tells all people in the conference room um, the foreign secretary is there. You know, this is foreign secretary. Zara explains the situation. Um, there's three hours and 51 minutes until landing. This dude comes in and says that the Romanian prime minister has been calling repeatedly. Uh, the press secretary wants to, uh, them to find out, like, who the five mystery people are, you know, who are these terrorist people. Bearded guy comes up to the med bag on the floor and he tells nephew guys, like, clean this mess up. He's like, do it quickly and you can give your uncle his medicine. So at least he's being a little cooperative, whatever. You know, all, all of that would have wouldn't have happened if he just would have been a little compassionate. <laughs> Yusuf, we see him, he's just like kind of looking down, you know, so he's probably feeling guilty because, you know, he said that the bullet was a blank. And so obviously it wasn't. And Hugo tells uh, the lady next to him to tell them, you know, it's like what happened, you know, wasn't because of of them, but it really was because, you know, he had kind of pushed him. Um, Yusuf tells her to tell him to shut his mouth before he shuts it for him because he's just like, you know, just shut up, dude. Number two comes up to the boss man. He he's like, he's like right. She's in the bit between business and a normal seat. It's the best that we could do. Yeah, it's like you know we, we drag her right to the back. People are going to start freaking out. And you said you know no one gets killed. And Bossman is like they were out of control. And he's like we had it covered. He's like okay, then if it wasn't then, it would have been you know next time. It was getting worse. He's like now look we're back in control. We're doing this for Edgar. Remember Edgar and John. So we do as we're told exactly you know, how we were told. So here we're finding out a little more information. Who's Edgar and John? They're doing something. So, you know, we don't know what they're, the point of all this is, like what they're, they're trying to accomplish. Then uh, number two, uh, winces in pain. And, you know, he like opens his, his, his jacket and there's like a, a big, big spot of, of blood, like on his, his, his side. And boss man tells him, he's like, go to the cabin crew and, you know, keep it all in the download and, you know, get some first aid. Cause he got stabbed by the scissors from that medical pouch from, from the, the uncle's bag. So Marsha calls Daniel and he has, he's, you know, how was your lecture? Blah, blah, blah. And she's, so she's kind of celebrating. She's out. She's not really shopping. He's like, oh, you're shopping. She's like, oh, no, I'm just looking at things I can't afford. But then she's like, maybe I'll buy something for Kai, you know, for, for being good about us. And he's like, what? And she's like, well, I know he's not good about us, but, you know, it could be a, a first step. You know, he has to know that, you know, that we are together and, and there's no way back for his dad. So Daniel thinks that you know, he, he says it's probably gonna be a late one for him. And then we see him. He shows up at this other building. Um, he asked to speak to DCI Gafur, which I was like, what the heck is DCI? It's Detective Chief, Chief Inspector. So they hang up, whatever. She gets another call and they say they have a package for Sam Nelson. And they're like, could you just confirm your address for me, please? And then the guy gives the address that he has. He's like, is that correct? And, you know, will there be someone there to sign for the package? And she's like, uh, no, what, whatever. And, and then the, the dude that's talking to her, he's looking at the, the picture that boss man took on of, of Sam's passport. So obviously it's not a real delivery thing. So Marsha says that, you know, he, uh, Sam's not going to be there. And then the dude's like, oh, if there's no answer, we'll just leave the package with the neighbor. And then the, the two 
tells you know he hangs up the phone. He tells the other guy on the phone that, that that's Nelson's address confirmed, and they're wearing blue jumpsuits, just like the the cleaners in Dubai. Now I don't think these are the same cleaners. Obviously, how would they get from Dubai to London that fast when the other plane is still in the air? So they must be other people. I don't know. Zara sees. You know, Dan, she greets Daniel at the elevator, tells, you know, there's a dude trying to stop him. She's like, oh, he's with me. She takes him to Slade Erica and says that she wants him, she wants Daniel to join the, the suspect ID checks. The prison guy, so he, he's fine. He's in a seat. He hands a Rubik's Cube over to the, the annoying family, the dad, and, you know, for, for the kid who lost his, uh, his uh, switch. And the dad's like, what do you say to the kind man? And the, the kid's like, why do you have drawings on your neck? And the dad's like, no, 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 no. He's like, we don't, we don't say that. And then the prison guy's like, you know, that, that's a good question. So the kids got the Rubik's cube, and then the mom yank grabs it out of, out of his hand and starts wiping it like with, with a like a handy wipe. And the dad's like, because that's a concern right now. And she just like looks at him and she keeps wiping it over. And then she looks over at the empty seat of the lady that she was arguing with before. She must be the one that got shot. And then she's like, she went to find Lizzie, that woman. What happened? Because since we we don't we never didn't actually see how it went down, she was out of her seat, and for whatever reason, the boss man dude decided to shoot her. Instead of shooting Sam, he shoots this you know random lady because she was looking for a missing girl. Number two goes back. Uh, he's with the flight attendant. Sam's you know zip tied to the, you know the wall. Uh, he number two. Uh, takes off his his uh, jacket and there's quite a bit of blood on his side and you know so the flight attendant like lift your shirt but he can't really do it so she has to do it because it's like in pain and she asks what happened and he's like in a fight you know someone kicked me and she's like kicked you he's like I don't know and he's like what's the matter so she has him like hold some gauze out on it while she looks for something else and Sam's like you've not been kicked he's like you've been stabbed you need a doctor and the dude's like no one's asking you and then there's silence and he's like. You think there'll be one on a plane? And Sam's like, might as well ask. The nephew hands a syringe over to the other guy. He gives the nephew also the bloody scissors. And he just like puts him in a like a, a vomit bag. And there's like quite a bit of blood on there. Number two is holding the gauze down. Um, there's still a lot of blood coming out. The flight attendant's like trying to wrap you know the gauze around him and stuff like that. Sam's like, you're going to need something stronger than that. And she's like, well, we don't have anything else. He's like, anything to tie it up? She's like, this is all that I have. He's like, okay, as long as you're not holding anything back. And she kind of gives him like a like a WTF look. And she's like, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, it means that you're doing your best to help. Announcement goes on the intercom, asking, is there a doctor on board? Um, the knowing family dad is like looking because, you know, they're like, you know, if, if you're a doctor, if you have a medical training, turn on your overhead light. And the knowing mom looks at him and she whispers, she's like, don't you dare. So the dad is apparently a doctor, but you know she doesn't want him to get involved. Sam tells number two that he's bleeding out. He's like, I've got a son your age. And he's like, what, what does that have to do with this? Nothing. It's like, so shut up. And Sam's like, look, I'm not just going to sit here and let you bleed to death, okay? I don't care who you are. Just not going to do that. So he's like, you need to stop talking. Then uh, the flight attendant, she found like, some tape or whatever. She starts wrapping it. Sam's like, he tells her, he's like, you need to hold it tighter. And she's like, can he help? And the, the dude's like, no. So Sam's like, look, mate, she needs someone to hold it so she can stick it. The dude's like, you're not a doctor. He's like, no one's a doctor, but she can't hold it and stick it at the same time. Then the guy's like, well, get Terry. And he's like, Terry? 
uh, and then he like looks at you. He sees his back, but he kind of lies. He's like, I can't see Terry. He says, look, all we're trying to do is slow down the bleeding. If you don't trust me, you can keep my hands tied and just cut me away from, from this, from like the, the railing on the side. So he nods. She cuts him loose. Um, he holds it down like the gauze down, and he, it's he's in pain. Sam tells him to breathe, and you know she wraps him up or like that. He's like he sits. She puts a blanket over his shoulder, and Sam like leans back on the floor, and she says she's gonna get some water. So it's just the two of them. Meanwhile, the foreign secretary is told that the Romanian interior minister insists on talking to her directly. So he tells uh, the, her aide tells her the dude's name. She gets on the phone. She tries making friendly talk. She's like, oh, what, you know, whatever his first name is. She's like, oh, yeah, we met once, whatever. He just, like, cuts into it. He's like, we have a serious problem. An unresponsive plane headed straight for Bucharest. And she's like, yes. And he's like, we need answers. She doesn't have any. Number two looks over at Sam. He's like, clever. She's like, you think you're clever? You're going to be nice to me? Is that it? Make sure I get painkillers, doctors, and that. So what? I trust you? So you, you can get in my head and get information? And Sam's like, never thought about it. And then number two is like, well, it's not going to work, mate. And he's like, now that you mention it, and he's like, yeah, not with me. He's like, no, I can see that about you. And the number two is like, I don't slip up like that. He's like, no, exactly. What just happened just then? It was just a one-off, you know? Like when you told me Terry's name. And he's like, no. He's like, doesn't matter. It's not like I could do anything with the information, mate. So he like kind of sits up a little. And Sam's like, do you want to know my tactics, my plan? I just want to get home, mate. I don't want to help you, but if it buys me a bit of credit, if it means the next time you're waving that thing about, you focus on the guy next to me and not me, then guess what? And he's like, you'll do it, won't you? He's like, yeah, that's right. Then number two is like, you're not helping me. He's like, no. He's like, you're just helping yourself. And I'm no different from anyone else on this plane, including you. I just want to get home and see my family, see my son, see his mom. Anything else would be a lie. So the foreign secretary tells the others that the Romanian dude is threatening military action, but they all take that with a pinch of salt. And this other dude's like, well, you know, they might be allies, but there's nothing that they're giving them that's going to help put them at ease. So she walks in a conference room. Alice is on, on, on a screen. Uh, there's this another plane next to theirs. It's, it's unregistered, so that means it's probably military. But she's like, but if you look closely, it's not on, the only one. So there's there's two planes next to the the airliner plane so sam must have heard him or something because like he sits up he looks and he sees a fighter plane outside the window boss man gets on intercom he's like close all the blinds so lady bell or whatever she's <laughs> she just like immediately just waving the gun get your fudging blinds down <laughs> then bearded guy he comes in yelling get them down down it's just like it's not like like hey please put your blinds down just like immediately wave the gun and start yelling on the radio, Kingdom 2-9, you are flying in airspace protected by NATO. If unable to respond, wing rock to acknowledge. The boss man tells the lady, he's like, there's a plan for this. If this happens, we ignore it. And it's like, you know, they can't do anything. She's like, they can shoot us down. And, and he's like, what, a British plane over some random country? They'd start a war. It's like, the further west we go, the safer it gets. We'll be fine. Kingdom 2-9, if you do not respond, we will be forced to take action. Number two... He's like, he's like, there's a plan, plan for that. He's like, the people who ordered this, they got a plan for everything. And Sam's just like silent. And he's like, can I tell you something? Sam's like, yeah. He's like, that thing you, you stuck on, it's not working. It feels like the bleeding is getting worse. He lifts his shirt to like show Sam. 
Um, one of the older guys, like the Tom or Jerry guys, I think it was Jerry, the second guy, he sees a plane and he tells the other, he's like, that's a Eurofighter. It's, it's a NATO plane. The flight attendant's like, oh, that's good. You know, Britain is part of NATO. The dude's like, but we're not the people that they're protecting. We're what they're protecting people from. It's like, we have to do something, you know, communicate, get them a message. And then uh, the flight attendant, um, I think her name was Carol, the one that was in a relationship with the pilot. She darts up. She tells this old couple to, you know, she tells the lady, like, get in a seat behind her. And then uh, she sits in the lady's seat. She opens a blind and she looks out. And the pilot um, radios, you know, the fighter pilot. He's like, we have a visual, female. Meanwhile, bearded guy turned around and he sees a light behind him. So the fighter pilot, he's like, he says... So bearded guy comes up to her to like close the blind, whatever, and he he's he sees that the contact is being attacked. Bearded guy is like, "What were you thinking?" He's like, "Do not communicate. Don't fudge with me." And he points like a gun at the elder dude in the seat, and then um, he he goes to shut the blind, but the guy struggles. He grabs like his arm or anything like that. The pilot's like, "Confirmed. Attacker is armed." So now the fire pilot sees that the guy has a gun. Bold, risky move for the Carol, whatever her name is. The flight attendant uh, tries grabbing the guy, but then she gets shoved back and slammed against like the wall. Bearded guy gets up and tells the old guy, not the fudging move, and he makes the lady get back to her seat. Because the thing is, boss man's the only one with real bullets, as far as we know. So he stands over to flight attendant, and he tells her, like, sit down. And he's like, don't get up again. So there's nothing he can do. Pilot's like, we lost visual because the, the blinds closed. So they, the radio messaged him as a standby, seeking permission to escalate. Because now they, they know that there's a threat, that there's they they know for sure that there's weapons on the plane that they're being it's it's not under their control. Alice is talking to Romanian ATC again. Whatever she doesn't have much to say. Sam's pressing on on number two. He's like uh, number two's like I'm gonna die, ain't I? And Sam's like No, don't say that. He's like I am. This is it. He's like No, don't start talking like that. Okay. As soon as you start talking like that, your body starts believing it. You're just like me. You're going to go home, all right, to your family, to the people you love. And he's like, is this real now? Are you, are you helping me for real now? He's like, yeah, just hold still, mate. He's like, look at me. I told you, I've got a son your age. And if this was happening to him, I'd want someone to help him too. And then blood starts like coming out of his mouth. And he like kind of slides over to the side. Sam yells out, is there a doctor on board, please? The annoying mom glares at her husband. And, he, and you hear Sam, a man needs some help here, please. So Robin, the pilot, he's like writing some numbers down. There's like a kind of like a cartoonish map, whatever, of the plane, like the, the, the world, whatever, country, Europe. He's calculating where he must be. Manal, you know, he's looking at his watch. Then he calls out the lady. He asks if he can speak to her, please. And she's like, anything you want to say, you can say from there. He's like, we need to talk to the jets. She's like, we're not doing that. He's like, if I could just explain to the chap who's in charge. And she's like, chap? He's like, the man in charge. And she's like, oh, he's going to love that. He's like, if I could just explain, please. She's like, it's coming from him, mate. We're ignoring them. That's what we decided. Then this other lady and Hugo, they're like, why? Why Why not? Why? And then she yells at them. She's like, no, we're not having this conversation. Boss man comes out because he's like, here's all this yelling. He's like, what's this? So Robin's like, I think we just talked to the Jets. We're about to fly over Bucharest. We're headed straight towards it. He's like, so? He's like, have we spoken to the Jets? He's like, no. Communicate at all? He's like, we're not going to Bucharest. Don't care about Bucharest. He and the pilot's like, yeah, but they don't know that, do they? To them, we're just a plane with the blinds down, headed straight towards the capital city. To them, we're an incoming missile. And then the lady kind of looks out the blind, and then at, at boss man. Foreign secretary is on the phone. 
she's like, please remove your jets. And she's told that, you know, she's done nothing to demonstrate that the, these people are not a threat to their country. And he's like, you know, you've done nothing to help us. In my position, you would do the same. So then she gets startled when her door opens and this other dude says the prime minister's office has been informed. And, she, and she's like, well, what have they been told? And they're like, well, that this is real and that you're leading on it. And she's kind of like, oh, crap, because that means, you know, she's in charge. Boss man brings a pilot into the cockpit. He, he says, like, tell them we're not Romanian. We've got no interest or problem with Romania or Bucharest or any of that. We're British. We're going to London. So he tries calling a NATO pilot. He's like, it's not working. He tries again. He's like, he asks, he's like, someone do something to this headset? <laughs> and it's like, yep, the pilot did. But he, he just he just looks at him. He doesn't answer. In the back, number two is like, I didn't want to come on this. He's like, I told him. I said, I'm not ready for this one. Then Terry comes back and, and sees like all the blood. He's like, poop. Sam gets up to him. He's like, go get medicine or anything. Yeah. He's like, Go. And he like looks at Sam for a second and he's like, wait, why are you giving me orders? But then he, he ends up going. Sam asks number two, oh, you know, what's he going to do when he gets back? And he's like, you go first. He's like, you got to keep talking because the talking helps. He's like, is there like a girlfriend? No. He's like, hey, hey. He's like, friends, mates. He's like, how about parents? Hey, mom, dad. He's like, mom, mom. Yeah. He's like, dad died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. So your, your mom's here. He's like, is that who you're going to see? He's like, Elaine. That's her name. Elaine. He's like, you don't, you don't got to tell me her name. And he's like, she's my, my, my picture on my phone. He's like, uh, I'll, uh, I'll get your phone for you. Okay. Digs into his, his like bloody like pant pockets and he hits the display and there's, you know, he, there's a picture of his mom on there, but it also says on a screen connected to Wi-Fi. Cause, uh, they turned to Wi-Fi and they left it on cause no one has phones. So it doesn't matter. Terry, meanwhile, goes up to Beardy Guy because he, he said someone had medicine. So Terry goes up and uh, he grabs a bag out of Nephew's hand. He opens it. He's like, what is this? And Nephew's like, it's insulin. He's like, it's for diabetes. And Terry's like, well, what, what can it do? Can it be a painkiller? He's like, insulin? He's like, we need medicine, painkiller, sedatives, anything. The others are kind of looking around. And he's like, stop staring and say something. Come on. Like no one like says anything. There's a one dude who was like had like sedatives. He gave it to this other lady. You know, he had like some opiate drugs or something like that. He's just kind of like looking down because you know, he doesn't want to get involved. Sam tells number two that the Wi-Fi is on. He's like, so while we're waiting for Terry, should we call your mom? He's like, yeah. He's like, we'll try not to worry her. All right. He finds mom's uh, landline, and he you know he's doing some stuff. And he's like, is this the number? And he like reads it. And, and then he, you know, it's taken a while. He's like, my hands are tight. So, you know, so that's why it's taking him longer. So then he dials, but then it almost looks like he hangs up right away. He does something. Um, then he, he deletes the history for this, his number. But it's like, wait, what, what are you doing? Then, um, then he calls the number again. So did he call another number? It rings. He puts it up. At first I was like, is he calling someone else? But then he's like, mom, he's like, yeah, it's me, mom. It's like, I'm sorry. He's like, no, listen, you just listen to me. So it's like, okay, he's got to be talking to his mom. He can't be like that, like out of it. He, he thinks he's talking to his mom. He's like, I might not. He's like, mom, listen, I might not, uh, I might not see you, mom. You see, I've been hurt and well, I'm not feeling too good. He's like, you're going to hear about it. Yeah. And I, I want you to remember something for me. Okay. None of the things that have happened. Yeah. Like, like we always said, none of them were ever anything to do with you. Okay. It's like, did you hear what I said? He's like, I wish you were too, mom, but you don't want to be her mom. He's like, listen, you just need to know that I love you, okay? 
It's like, I'll see you soon, mum. Okay? It's like, I will. And then he puts the phone down and he starts coughing and more blood comes out of his mouth. Sam tries getting him to sit up. So it's like, it's actually kind of sad because he, uh, he's a terrorist or anything, but he's young. You know, if, if Sam says he's his, his, his son's age and, you know, he's like, I didn't want to be here. You know, I told him that. Marsha gets on a bus. Uh, so Sam's ex, she has some packages. She gets a ping on her, her phone and there's like a voicemail. So then you hear, while we're waiting for Terry, should we call your mom, Elaine? And then she can hear your voice. We'll try not to worry her, all right? You can say what you got to say. And then Sam says his mom's number, asking, he's like, is that it? And he's like, no, it's because my hands are tied. And then recording ends. So she hits the, the button to try to stop the bus. So very clever Sam. He actually called her phone, got her answering machine, and then reads a number so they can you know get basically said the the number on on the recording and then mentions that his hands are tied so dude in in the conference room says that the prime minister and her son are headed back to their hotel from the white mountains and they're being asked to keep the briefings coming the foreign secretary she's like explain and the other guy's like well Nobody wants to inherit a crisis if they don't have to. These white mountains, wherever they are, they sound like the perfect place to be. So basically, the prime minister doesn't want to touch the situation. She's like, okay, the foreign secretary is dealing with it. It's your problem to deal with. Fighter pilot is told that they have five minutes to stand by. Marsha calls Daniel, and he's like at a computer working. He's like, I can't really speak right now. And she's like, it wasn't a false alarm. It's real, Daniel. But you knew that, didn't you? She's like, I could tell by your voice. It's like, you knew and you kept it to yourself. And he's like, and I'm sorry. She's like, why didn't you say something? He's like, well, there's no point in calling you until we knew you know, ex- exactly what's going on. And how do you know? She's like, I got a message from the plane. He's like, from Sam? And she's like, no, well, yes, it was from another number. But it was Sam speaking with another man. And they mentioned some names and they mentioned a phone number. He's like, wait. And she's like, and it sounded, it sounded serious. Daniel says that he needs her to send the message. She's like, I don't know how to do that. He's like, I'll tell you how. So he says that this is the only contact they've had from the plane. So this is vital. And it, it, you know, it might be a mistake or it might be Sam trying to communicate details, numbers. And she's like, what do you mean communicate? He's like, Marsha, this is the man you told me about. He's trying to sort it out. So Sam calls out again, asking if there's a doctor on board. Anyone, please. The dad finally turns on his light button. His wife stands up. She turns it off. He like looks at her, and he takes off his seatbelt and stands up. And Terry's like coming at him with his gun out. He's like, I'm a doctor. Because he's got to do it. You know, it's his, his, his oath, you know, his duty. The fighter pilot's told three minutes, prepare to engage. And he's like, confirm that is the order? And they're like, affirmative. The doctor, dad, he's like, he's... He's hardly getting any oxygen. He's like, we're going to need something to pierce through his chest. It's like a tube, you know, something he can breathe through. And Sam's like, what about a pen? So he he gets on the phone. He calls up Lady Bella. She answers. He's like, the guy's seated behind me. He's got a, a bureau. Bring it. He's going to stop breathing. So bureau must be a type of pen, I guess. Daniel um, plays the message of Zara and this other lady. They trace a number. It's bushy, Hurt, Hurt, Hertfordshire or something like that, Atterton. Daniel's like, this is it. This could prove that it's our problem, not Romania's. So they start doing a search. Uh, the lady grabs, <laughs> she just takes use of pen out of his hand. He's just like like scribbling on the, on the covers, this crossword puzzle thing, whatever. She heads back. 
Pilots told, fighter pilots told, two minutes, confirm for weapons release. And pilot's like, are you sure about this? And they're told, you will obey the order. Daniel's like, this is huge, like organized crime, international scale, but all of it's based here. He's like, that's what we tell them. These hijackers are British. The foreign secretary is, she's on the phone with the Romania. She, she's told that they're out of time. And she's like, we're allies. Meanwhile, Zara's like headed to her like office. The lady sees number two lying on the floor. Doc puts his hand out for the pen. He says that he stopped breathing. He like rips his shirt open, draws an X on his chest. The pilots, both fighter planes pull back so they're behind the, the airliner. One of them locks on. Weapons are hot. We have lock. Prime Minister tells the secretary, they're in position. The order is about to be given. We fire in 60 seconds. Zara puts a list of sheet of names on against the window. Secretary looks at it. And she tells the dude, she's like, stop. It's like, they are confirmed British nationals. We are the target. You are not the target. It is not terrorism. Because all of them says like British national, whatever. The doctor dad is like hesitating over to X. <laughs> Sam just grabs the, the pen, jams it down like through, through his chest. He like doesn't even hesitate. Alice is like looking at screens. Conference room is waiting. Sam and doctor are waiting for a reaction. And number two, secretary is waiting for a response. Then the pilot is told, Abort, abort, disengage. Pilot releases his finger over the tr trigger. Copy that. Weapons cold, returning to base. Whoosh. There's a little blood bubbling through the pen. And a lady asks, like, is he breathing? And Doc's like, he is. And Sam's like, come on, mate. He's like, okay, okay. Alice and ATC, they see the other X's on the screen leaving the plane. So there's some relief there. Same thing in the conference room. They're all kind of like relieved over, over this. Sam looks out the window. He sees the jets are gone. He closes his eyes in relief other flight uh attendant carol whatever she tells the bearded guy she's like they're gone and he's like turn around she gets up she's like tell them they can open the blinds she's like hey no and she's like you can open the blinds and she starts telling people open the windows they're gone do not open the blinds she's like the jets have gone let them see out stop but everyone starts like opening the, their blinds anyways keep them shut keep them shut stop but everyone's like relieved bearded guy just like glares at carol it's like what's he gonna do he's like can shoot every single person because they're opening blinds Doc says the pen should hold for now. Then lady sees number two's phone and Sam's like, oh, the Wi-Fi's on. He wanted me to help him call Elaine. He, he wanted her to, to hear his voice. She like looks at the screen and his picture his mom and she just shuts down his phone and she looks at him and he's like, hey, every son needs their mother, right? Marsha gets home. She calls out the Kai. No answer. She's the like, Kai... So at first it's like, okay, is Kai dead? Did the delivery people come? Did they kidnap him? Like what's going on? Are they waiting for her? Are they in the bathroom? Like at that other place? At the, the TSA lady, her family? I can't believe that. Um, home secretary dude comes out of a building. This other man comes out to him with an envelope and he, ha he hands it to him, but he kind of hangs on to it for a second. He's like, I look forward to speaking. And so the, the the home secretary dude, he's like confused. He like gets in his car, looks at the envelope. He reads it and he tells his aides, get the foreign secretary on the line, please. Now. And then you see the envelope has written on it, demands. So now we're going to finally find out what do they want with this plane. Uh, so it's about John and Edgar, whoever they are. But there's probably like four hours now till 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 it lands. But yeah, I don't know if number two is going to make it. Then with the uh, secret invasion. So uh, last episode, it appeared that Gaia was, was killed. 
it's like <laughs> like it's just gonna be fury at, at the end of the series it's just gonna be him one man man show everyone's getting killed so there's a flashback we see uh gaia taking the, the data from the she's in a lab now and then um Meanwhile, while she's laying on the ground, because uh, Gravik left, you know, after he shot her, her wound starts kind of glowing. Then the flashback shows her going into that big, like, orb dome thing on a computer screen. It says Extremis uh, on there. And then she sits up. Her chest is still kind of red. It fades, and then she's in human form now. So she super scrolled herself with an added Extremis to it. So she's she's still alive. Now it's it's interesting because she's shot off like almost like on her shoulder, like her upper chest shoulder. So I don't know. I don't know anything about scroll physiology. I don't remember it listed mentioned. I thought it said that they could like move their organs about, but I wonder if that's where their their, their heart is, like over there. Which who knows? So then it cuts to Paris, two thousand twelve. Uh, Fury goes to like is this like fancy bar? He, he um. He, he meets uh, Vara, Priscilla. She mentions watching the news coverage about the heroics in the States. And she's like, I had a feeling someone I knew had something to do with getting them all together. So she's talking about Avengers, the first Avengers movie. And, and Fury's like, and what if it was someone you, you knew? She's like, well, it wouldn't surprise me. And he's like, why is that? And she's like, because if he's the man I think he is, he has a powerful sense of righteousness. He understands that the universe is a dangerous place. That home is worth fighting for and the weak are worth protecting. So then he's like, well, asked about the book that she's reading. She says it's a collection of poems and, you know, it's by Raymond Carver. She says that, you know, he's known for his brevity. You know, some of his poems are like three or four lines, but they pack a punch. So he's like, oh, like, do you have a favorite one? So she starts flipping to it. She's like, it's called Late Fragment. And he's like, how's it go? So she's like, it's actually a conversation between two people. So she tells Fury, Fury she's like, you read the first line. He's like, and did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so. And she's like, I did. Then he's like, and what did you want? And she says, to call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. And she puts her, her hand on his. So very sweet. In the present, she's sitting in the back of the church, choir singing. Then Rhodey comes up and sits next to her. And she's like, Fury was fired a couple days ago. And he's like, fired? He's like, how'd that happen? She's like, President Ritson must have found out that he was in Moscow. And then Rhodey chuckles. He's like, President Ritson doesn't find out that the sun's come up unless I brief him. I fired Fury, okay? It's like, no, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Correction, I DDT'd that dude from the top of a rope. Yeah, it was like under, <laughs> Undertaker level. <laughs> so it was like, Rhodey a wrestling fan? It's like, it was really impressive. So she's like, I don't understand. If it was you, if it was Gravik, then why does he need me? Rhodey's like, what Gravik needs, what Gravik doesn't need, that's none of your concern. I'm the one telling you to kill Fury. Look, I'll make it easy for you. So, take it were to assume that Rhodey's a scroll. Obviously, because why would he be working with him? But while this conversation is going on, we see Fury's listening over an earpiece. Because we hear one of the two occupants of that lovely country manor of yours is catching a bullet today. Then back in the church, he's like, you can flip a coin for all I care. And then he winks and like he gets up. But then she grabs his arm. She's like, he's broken. He's been broken um, since he came back from the blip. 
Uh, she's like the the old fury, the one with power, the one with the ability, the one who was indispensable to us. That fury's gone. It's like now this new one, he'll be dead from exhaustion and defeat soon enough. She's like, we don't need to kill him. And he's like, Priscilla. And then he, he, he gets up. But then he, he like comes back, leans over and whispers. He's like, you keep telling me what you're not going to do. I'm going to show you what I'm going to. So meanwhile, Gravik and the others are at like a private jet. Pagan says that, you know, they have a problem. And he's like, take, take a look around. He's like, there's a reason Gaia isn't here with us. And Gravik's like, she's the mole. I've already taken care of her. He's like, then, then he says to the others, he's like, hey, remember, we want them to think it's the Russians. Make it big, loud, like the Russians word. So Gaia, meanwhile, is sitting next to Talos at like this duck pond. He's like, I never should have forced you into this. He's like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, and I don't need your sorrow or pity for anything I did in my own free will. It's like, the reason I'm with you now is because with you, dad, it's the only answer to the question of where I belong. The only thing that I need from you is a plan. Once and for all, dad, what is your plan for finding our people a home? Because Gravik has already implemented his and it works. So Talos is like, first... We take down the insurgency. You, me, Fury. Once that's done, we go to the president and we have a big bargaining chip and we tell him, guess what? We just saved your planet. Now, give me a little something in return and we wait and, and see what can happen next. All right? He's like, and I believe that I can secure an amnesty for the one million of us to remain. And she's like, don't you want to live in your own skin? He's like, of course I do. But we have to deal with the reality He's like, Gaia, we're a people without a planet. We depend on the goodwill of our host. We just have to keep showing them who we are. We have to keep contributing, keep them in our hearts. They will see us. And she like shakes her head a little bit. She's like, you are delusional. It's like, that's not who we are. And that is not who I've become. And she gets up and walks away. He's like, Gaia. And she just keeps going. And he just sits there. So Priscilla comes home. Um, she, you know, notices that fury left his wedding ring in a little bowl on the table but then she hears like some some clattering in the kitchen so she, nick's fury's there and she's like oh i didn't think you'd be home until later and he's like surprise he's like making tea she's like oh i'll, I'll take some so she asks she's like are your fingers swollen up she's like you're not wearing your wedding ring and he's like oh it's like i came in the back way slipped my mind and she's like does that mean you're coming or going he sighs. He's like going. He's like one of those fury. We need you at work things, but he doesn't have work, so he's lying to her. Then they they sit at the table and he looks at her. He's like, of all the dumbass, wrongheaded, reckless things I've done in my life, you are by far and away the greatest mistake. He's like, I lost all my reason to be your husband, ignored every signal in my head, heart, and body that screams stop. Even now, as I sit here. Knowing your plan to kill me with that pistol of yours, I don't know that if I had a chance to do it over again, that I'd do anything different. Which is kind of sweet, but <laughs> it's also sad. He puts his pistol on the table. She does the same. He's like, would you tell me the story of how you chose her? So she's like, Dr. Priscilla Davis had a congenital heart defect. She was keeping it a secret, didn't want the people she loved gathered around for months watching her die in a hospital. And I would visit her in her room almost every day towards the end, and we became quite close. But at some point, I had to acknowledge the truth of what I was actually doing there in the first place. 
which was looking for someone who would slip your defenses. Ah, so you were playing the long game on me, even then. She's like, don't do that, Nick. One day, the doctor came in and told me that it would be just a matter of hours. I decided to come out and ask. You asked if you could assume her life? I asked if she wanted to fall in love. She wanted to know how, of course, and I told her about you. She made me make her three promises. One, that I would bury her at sea, which I did. Two, that I would continue to be a daughter to her parents, which you've also done. Mm -hmm. Three, and there's a pause. She's like, that I would never hurt you. And she's like, sorry, darling. He quotes that poem. And did you get what you wanted from this life even so? And she's like, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself. So they both are saying, to feel myself beloved on this earth. And in both draw their guns. And in both fire. And we see like scenes from around the house. But then she's still alive. And she like looks over her shoulder like where... Nick's or Fury's bullet went over her head. Camera turns. Nick's still alive, and he's looking at you know behind him at the hole and like the wall behind him. He's like, I'm not sure if this means we should get divorced or if we should renew our vows. She kind of chuckles. He's like, They'll be coming for you. She nods. She's like, I'm a big girl. I can take care of myself. He gets up, kind of takes her hand, and he asks, or she asks, Would you have loved me if I'd never changed? If if I'd been my true self? He sighs, looks at her, and walks away, and then stops, turns, guess we'll never know. Then we see a scroll taking a shower, and so it's like, wait, is this Vara? Puts on a towel, goes to wipe the, the, the foggy, fogged up mirror, it's Rhodey. So Rhodey is actually a female scroll. Walks out of the bathroom, surprised to find Fury sitting at a table with a bottle, bottle of bourbon. And so Rhodey scrolls like, Fury, what the hell? You might tell me what the hell you're doing here? Memory serves. I poop canned you into oblivion a few days ago. And Fury's like, I didn't like the way we left things between us the other day, you know? I mean, for real, though, you know, us brothers, we got to stick together. You know what I mean? Rhodey's like, Rhodey scrolls like, uh-huh. And you thought you'd demonstrate that by breaking and entering? I wanted to share my favorite liquid lunch with you, Pappy Van Winkle. 23 years of distilled perfection. I figured we could settle our beef like, you know, proper gentlemen. Takes a drink. Mm, 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 mm. Pappy, you don't outdid yourself on this one. And Rhodey looks, Rhodey scrolls like, is this a real thing? And Nick's like, $5,000 worth of 24 karat liquid gold. Then Rhodey scrolls like, should I be worried about poison? Poison? No. Nanotechs. And Rhodey chuckles, nanotech. He's like, maybe I should pour this out, make myself a fresh one. Fury's like, you can do whatever makes you feel comfortable. But let me tell you, you waste one drop of this family reserve, I guarantee you, your ancestors will reach out from beyond and strangle your black ass. He chuckles, clink, clink glasses. He's about to drink, kind of sniffs, sets it down. He's like, okay. Rhodey scrolls like, you want to tell me the real reason you're here? Fury's like, can't get nothing by you, huh? He's like, aside from really wanting to squash this beef between us, I stopped by. You broke in. Broke in to tell you. He looks around and he kind of whispers, there are scrolls inside the U.S. government. Rhodey sighs. This again, scrolls in my security detail. In the U.S. government, there are just scrolls everywhere. I have it on excellent authority. Mm-hmm. That there is a scroll mole 
very close to the president. Rhodey's like, wow, really? How close? As close as you and I are right now. Uh, closer. Rhodey smiles. That's a wild story. Ain't it now? But here's the kicker. All you got to do to keep my mouth shut about all this? Give me my job back. And Rhodey's, Rhodey scrolls like, you mind if I make a counter? He drinks the whiskey. Mm. And Fury chuckles like, yes. So Rhodey takes out a thumb drive from this you know, little box, whatever. Put on the computer, turns on the TV, you know, airplays at the TV. He's like, Is this, can you see this? It's Moscow. It's a scene from Moscow. Fury's on a screen. It's scroll Nick Fury, Gravik, shoots Maria. And then Rhodey scrolls like, oof. He's like, that's bad. And that's you. Fury's like, you and I both know that's Gravik. And R- Rhodey like chuckles. He's like, come on. Is that really what, what you're going to uh, go with at your trial? The, the alien defense? No, your honor. That's not me. That's a six foot tall, bald, black, one eyed extraterrestrial. He chuckles. Good luck with that. He's like, look, I don't want you to worry, okay? I'm going to do everything in my power to protect you, to keep this video and, you know, all the copies I made under wraps. But I can't have you running around spouting wild conspiracies, and I certainly can't have you breaking into my hotel suite threatening me. But it's like, when did he threaten him? But what I can have is the rest of this pappy, because, baby, this is fire. Now, why don't you hobble your ancient ass out of here before I have you defenestrated? See, I don't think Rhodey would be this rude to Nick Fury. Because he's just a colonel, whatever. So Rhodey, then he just like sits on a couch in front of the screen, pours another drink, while Fury just puts on his coat and leaves. He's kind of like, kind of bummed. Then we see Fury and Talos in, in the, the, his Nick's SUV. Talos is holding this vial in the, in the car. Liquid location tractor. It's like, it's not a bad idea. And then we see Rhodey gets into his SUV. At an airport, Rhodey greets the president. He's like, welcome to England, Mr. President. He tells him there's a full briefing in his car, which they, they refer to like stagecoach. But he tells him before he enters, he's like, the key thing about the Russians is that you have to project strength. There's an old Lenin quote, Vladimir, not John. When you find flesh, you push. When you find steel, you stop. You got to be steel, sir. And the president's like, Colonel, can I ask you something? Absolutely anything, sir. Did you pregame our bilateral with the Russians with a half bottle of bourbon? I'm not sure I understand the question, sir. Then the president goes to his car. He says to the security guy, like, let's make sure the colonel here has a large coffee for the road. Rhodey's just smiling. Then he walks to his car. Tries like smelling his breath. Says that his security dude, his arm's like still in a sling from Fury. He's like, get me a mint. Yes, sir. Train of cars leaves the airport. Um, they, they drive through the countryside. Rhodey must call the scrolls or something like that. He's like, they're in transit to the summit. Citadel is in position number four. Meanwhile, Gravik and the others are in a helicopter. They shoot a couple missiles at the convoy. Two SUVs are hit and flip, and we see the president's like car flipping with the president there. Fury and Talos are like a ways away, but they see like the black smoke rising. So Fury turns off to the side to like take a shortcut, like through a bunch of trees. Then, but there's actually like two helicopters, and the Secret Service they get out, they're like shooting at the at the helicopters. President's like hanging upside down in seatbelt. Agent yells, "Citadel's alive!" And then three black vans fly out of the trees of sided road, so it's more reinforcement for for Gravik. Um, Gravik and Pagan like rope down from the helicopters. They start shooting at agents on the ground. 
Others get out out of the vans. They're wearing like kind of like Russian clothing and ski masks, or whatever. They're shooting. Rhodey just sits calmly in the back of the SUV. One of the president's convoy has like a missile launcher in the, in the back. <laughs> and it's like shoots down one of the helicopters. The explosion, um, when it hits, it sends some like agents flying. Gravik's like yelling in, in Russian, you know, they push forward. Another missile is shot at the other helicopter, but it misses. Then they, they shoot back. The helicopter shoots back, blows up the truck. Fury and Talos, they pull up behind the vans. Talos is like, it's it's a kill zone. And Fury's like, the whole planet's going to be a kill zone if we don't save Ritson. So they, they grab some guns from the back of the SUV. Fury hits a copter with this like little rocket launcher. It's a little impressive thing. Then it hits the ground and like slides. It stops just short of hitting the president's uh, vehicle. Fury and Talos start shooting at the Russians from behind. Pagan yells at Gravik, Fury's here. So Gravik walks towards his arm, extends out, grabs an agent, pulls him back. So he must have like group powers because you see like, you know, it's like wood and it just like crushes him. More vehicles arrive to help them. Fury and, and Talos uh, go to the president. They see that he's knocked out and uh, Talos starts like punching the window, trying to bust it. But it's like all like bulletproof and everything like that. Then Gravik tells Pagan that to take care of Talos. Now he moves uh, to get into position, shoots him in the shoulder and then, um, Talos is like fighting, you know, changing back to a scroll. So again, I don't know if the the, the shoulders, like if the, again, is that by the heart? He keeps trying to hit the window. Then a soldier sees him. There's a bloody alien. He's trying to get Ritson. Fury is like, no, 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 no. He's like, hold your fire. He's with me. He's with us. The soldier like looks, then he turns his attention. Talos finally gets the, the window busted. Fury cuts off the seatbelt. So Talos is like full scroll form now. And Fury tells him, he's like, hang in there. He's like, I'll be back for you. And the soldier's like, put him in my car. And, and Fury's like, I got my own. He hits like a key fob thing, opens the doors, his SUV, and it starts up. Soldier goes to Talos. He's like, come on, I've got you. So it's nice. He's helping him because he saw, you know, he first he was yelling about him. Um, so Fury puts the uh, president inside. Then he turns back and he sees a soldier with Talos. And then he pulls out his gun. Put him down. Put him down now. But he keeps like standing there. Then he shoots and then it, it, it turns into Gravik. And then he stabs Talos in, in, the, in the shoulder. Uh, so again, is that where the heart is? So Fury's like, no. And then he, he shoots him in the chest, but whether Gravik has body armor or whatever, then he hits him like inside his face. His head like jerks back and he looks and you see like his cheek and everything is like all blown away. But then it heals up from the, the extremis. And Fury's kind of like shocked. Reinforcements are coming, just more helicopters, whatever. Scroll on a police cycle pulls up. Gravik hops on the back, looks down at Gravik's body. He's just laying there, just like blood. He's a scroll. Fury looks at Talos. Then he looks at the unconscious president in the passenger seat, gets in the car, gives Talos' body another look, and drives off. So it looks like that's the end of Talos because uh, he turned back to scroll form. <laughs> He's shot. He doesn't have any extremist super scroll stuff. Did they kill him? Because like now, okay, come on. Okay, well they 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 kill Maria. They did kill her. But I was like, they didn't kill her. They did kill her. They kill uh, Gaia, but they didn't kill her. Now they're killing Talos. Are they really killing her or him? <laughs> I don't even know. If this was a shorter episode. I think it was only like thirty-seven minutes. But then you know all the credits at the end. But um, but yeah yeah so we'll have to see. There's only two more episodes left, right? I don't know. But the the the, the thing is, the, I guess the, the the big question is that what no one ever 
mentions when someone's been replaced by a scroll, where's the real body? Because, you know, so that means Rhodey must have been captured. When was he captured and replaced? Because, you know, he last time I think we saw him was in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So was that uh, was that really him or was he replaced? I don't know. Maybe we'll get a flashback. Probably not. Who knows? But that was Secret Invasion for this week. All right. And then My Adventures with Superman, season one. I'm pretty sure it's episode three. Uh, my DVR said that this was episode two. So they're trying to say that episode one and two, because it was part one and part two, that that was episode one. I I don't know. I don't agree with that because there were two separate episodes. They were like end credits and all that stuff. So this episode is called My Interview with Superman. It starts off there's like a blimp crashing into a building in Metropolis. Lois is running to the scene. Superman catches uh, the pilot as he falls out. Then uh, the pilot's like, there's a fire on the blimp. It's a big chunk of like, it's like a steel girder falls out. Superman, and there's a bunch of people on the streets. Superman catches uh, the, the girder and everything like that. And, you know, he's, he still has a pilot. Then he's, like, asked everyone in the street. And then the cars, you know, like, traffic is just stopped. They're like, are you okay and everything? Then the pilot's like, who are you? Then he's like, just call me. And then you hear, Superman. Because Lois, she whips out a recorder. She's like, I'd like to interview you for Daily Planet. He's like, uh, sorry, no comment. I got to take her at that blimp. Takes off. Then at this prison, there's, like, a break-in. Because there's one guy he can turn invisible. So I guess he's missed not really familiar with him from the comics. Maybe I am, but I'm not. Uh, his name's Kyle. There's this other big dude who's Roughhouse. And because Roughhouse keeps calling Kyle, he's like, don't use our real names. And um, so I, I don't know if they're looking for Roughhouse's sister, because I don't think she has a sister. So they're, they're looking for Siobhan McDougal. And I only know who that is from the recent comics, because I never knew Silver Banshee's name was Siobhan. Because uh, I, I had a a student named Siobhan, even though she didn't go by that. She went by like her middle name or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. <laughs> I think. Uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doubting myself if this, if I, this is true. So she's in, in this, she, they're like, we got to find her. And she's like in this, they're like right in front of her cell. So she's like, what are you guys doing there? So Kyle's like, well, long story short, this crazy lady, lady gave us stupid, powerful weapons. And then Albert, um, the rough house, uh, he's like, we're busting you out. So he just rips, he's got like these big gauntlets on on his his like hands and wrists. He just tears the door off. So Siobhan gets this mask and Kyle's like amplified sound. And then guards come in and have these like tech guns and they're like, like stand down. And Siobhan's like, no. And they're like, what was that? She's like, I said, no. You know, Silver Banshee blasts him. Clark flies the Daily Planet and he's like running. He's muttering to us. He's like, I'm late or whatever. He sees Lois and, you know, she's kind of looking. I don't know if she's kind of like bummed that she didn't get the interview or whatever. Um, then he gets kind of like this weird vision flash or whatever like that. And he so he's kind of a little distracted. She like kind of bumps into him because she's looking at her phone. And then he's like, oh, I got you coffee. And then she's like, is this from Wade's Cafe? He's like, yeah, you mentioned it was your your favorite, you know, and I just happened to jog past it. She's like, that's clear across the city. And he's like, uh, it, was a, it was a long jog. And he's like, are you sure you're okay? She's like, I am now, thanks to you. She's like, I really needed this after the morning I had. So she tells she keeps trying to interview Superman, but he keeps running away. And she's like, what is he afraid of? And Clark's like, uh, maybe he doesn't want you taking all the secrets and publishing them. And she's like, yeah, but he doesn't know that that's my plan. 
<laughs> so she's like, saying yes is simple. She's like, look, I'll be mean. You pretend to be Superman. So you introduce her. She's like, Lois Lane, whatever. And she extends her hand. And he starts saying, it's a pleasure. And he's like, it's a pleasure. Because he's like, almost says it like a Superman voice. And then she's like, you saved my life. And I, I wanted to know more about you. I, You know, it would mean the world to me if you'd let me interview you. What do you say? And Clark's like, if it was within my power, I'd do anything for you, Lois. And then she's like, you see how easy that was? Then they hear voices and they go into their, their quote unquote office and the star news team is there. They introduce themselves like this big pompous, like kind of show Steve Lombard. He, it's funny because he has like, like a, like a letterman's jacket on, even though he's like, you know, office attire. So Steve Lombard sports reporter and then Cat Grant, she's like, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the stuff, gossip and human interests. And she's like, if it isn't news, tell me all about it. You know, sit next to me, but not too close. And then uh, Ronnie, so Ronnie Troop is is a woman. Um, I don't, I don't, I thought didn't think she was in the, in the comics. They might have gender swapped. But she's like, no, I don't want to do that that whole thing. And and she's like, they need to know who's scooping them or whatever. So then she's she says she's an investigative journalist, whatever. And so Steve's, they're all about scooping them. So Steve's like, going to scoop their murder board. And they're like, that's not how the word works or something like that. So Ronnie says that Harry, she, or she said Harry, or did she say Perry? Because it's swore to closed caption said Harry. I'm like, who the heck is Harry? She probably meant Perry. Perry probably assigned them the Superman beat. That makes a lot more sense. Because I'm like, who's this Harry person that works at the Daily Planet? So Perry assigned them to the Superman beat. And he said that they compiled research that they could use. So, you know, they'll just, you know, take that and get out of their, their hair. And Lois like, this isn't fair. She's like, the Superman story we wrote was perfect. And she's like, look, you, you got a lucky break, but Perry wants real reporters on this. You know, we'll make sure you get additional reporting credit when we're done. And then they leave. Then Steve comes back and, he's, and he like, scoop. And he takes Lois's coffee, which is rude. So then Lois says to Clark that, you know, she thought that the picks they got would, would please Perry. Uh, but if that doesn't work, then they'll have to beat the scoop troop with an interview and interview Superman first. Jimmy's like, and I'll put it on my flame bird, uh, his uh, his Twitter whatever thing. And he's like, that could get me seven Fowlers. This could be a seven Fowler day. Clark says, he's like, I still think we should find another story. You know, there's got to be other things happening in Metropolis besides Superman. Uh, Lois and Jimmy are both like, like what? Then they can hear like a news report from a TV from like the the bullpen. So they go there, they're talk. There's a news conference about the prison break. And then there's a shot of, of Siobhan, Silver Banshee, like blasting. Uh, Jimmy says that it looks like the tech that Livewire was using. He's like, that's what I call her on Flamebird. And Clark's like, Livewire almost destroyed half the city. He's like, I have to track down those criminals and stop them. And then he realized that he said that out loud. He's like, I mean, write about them. So uh, we, we go, this, this is a story that we should cover, you know, a scoop for the planet. Then and Lois is like, then Perry will have to take us seriously. What are we waiting for? She's like, lead on, Smallville. And he blushes. Then Jimmy's like, says to Lois, he's like, I didn't expect you to give up on the Superman story so easily. And she's like, who says I am? Then it cuts to, we go to his like boxing gym. So Kyle and Albert show Siobhan, uh, the the last thing that they got from the crazy lady. So there's like this big device thing. He hits his button and it shoots out a big freeze ray. Uh, and he like shoots a bunch of stuff, like even shoots like the fish aquarium. Why is there a fish aquarium in the gym? I don't know. But then the, the off button doesn't work, so he's like, click, 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 click. Albert just like pounds on it, and it's it stops, and then all the ice you know retreats, and that the fish is still alive and all that. So Siobhan says that you know people have looked down 
on them their whole lives. Now they're going to get the respect that they deserve. So they, they put their hands together and like, inner gang forever. So this is inner gang? It's like, what? So uh, Clark, Lois, and Jimmy go to the prison. They're outside. Clark says that you know they need to find out everything they can about Siobhan McDougal and her accomplices, but how can they convince the warden to, to talk to them? Whatever. And Lois is like, oh, I can get us in, uh, but you have to promise not to be upset. And he's like, why would I get? And she whips out three press presses. It's a scoop troop. So uh, Sam, Katz, and, and Ronnie's. And he looks, he's like, oh, he's like, you stole their badges? She's like, no, I borrowed them secretly when they weren't looking. And he, Clark's like, that's the definition of stealing. He's like, no way Jimmy and I are going along with. And then Jimmy's like, dibs on anyone who's not Steve. So he just like grabs one. And then uh, Clark's like, well, I'm not doing this. And she's like, fine, then we can go back to, and brainstorm how to interview Superman. So inside, they're in the warden's office, and Clark's just like all down and like, you know bummed out. The warden's like, "I'm sorry, who are you?" And Lois is like, "Oh, darling, ha ha ha!" It's like we're at the Daily Planet Star News Team. Can't grant human interest if it's not real news. Tell me then, or you know, tell me all about it. Jimmy's posing as Ronnie Troop, investigative journalist. Clark's like hunched over and defeated. He's just like Steve, sports. So Lois is like, we're here about the breakout, darling. So uh, Lois turns on a recorder. What can you tell us about the escapee? So the warden's like, <sighs> she's like, exactly what I said at the press conference. Siobhan is the leader of Inner Gang, a crew of small-time crooks who rob convenience stores. And, you know, there's like footage shows that like Albert, like using her real names or whatever. They're at a convenience. The warden's like, but the the real bad at it. Then the warden's like, wait, I don't remember seeing you at the press conference and and Lois is like, oh, but we like to, you know, keep to ourselves or something like that. And she's like, you just did a pirouette when you came into my office. And But then Jimmy kind of cuts in. He's like, oh, we were hoping we could interview inmates, investigate the cell. And she, the warden, she's like, absolutely not. It's like, I can't let the press waltz through my prison. Then her phone rings and she's, you know, she kind of turns her back because it's behind her. She's like, yeah, the plants reporters are here. And she's like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm looking right at them. She turns around and they're gone. They took off. So they're running through the hall. Clark's like, there has to be an exit someplace. Then they, they pass by Dork. That you know, it's cracked walls around it, and there's like police do not enter tape. So they like, back up. Lois is like, or we can investigate the site of the breakout. And Clark's like, but the door is locked. And Lois is like, unless someone has the warden's key card, and she pulls out the warden's key card, and she's like, oh look. And Clark actually chuckles, and Lois is like, wait, was that a smile? And he's like, you know, he covered his mouth. He's like, no, of course not. I'm very perturbed by your actions. And she's like, of course. He's like, because stealing is wrong. But then they open the door. So then Clark's like, okay, let's find a clue that could tell us where they might be and, and where they might be headed next and make it fast. So Clark looks at the busted door on, on the floor and his vision goes wonky again. Lois finds a sheet of paper in the mattress. It's written like A security systems or something like that. But there's like times... 4 a.m., 1 p.m., 5 p.m. Then they hear the warden and some guards like down the like the the, the hall, or whatever. So they decide to exit through the hole where the three must have escaped from. So they regroup in an alley. Lois says, "Obviously, Saban wants to do something big, but what?" Jimmy says, "Well, it's a good thing you have me." So he, he takes out his camera. He shows a picture of this like cat poster that was hanging in the, in the cell. It says, "Believe it." Then he flips to the next one. On the back is like this map. Lois like, "It's a bank. It's a, it's a bank layout. It's like they're planning on robbing a bank." The, but then Clark's like, "It won't just be any bank. You know, Saban wants respect." I don't know where he got that from because they didn't hear that part. You know, she's told the others, whatever. 
So he's like, that'll mean it'll have to be the, the biggest financial center in the city. So then, and Lois and Clark both figure it'll be the metropolitan city bank or something like that. So Jimmy's like, those times must be when armored cars come in with cash transfers, which is very good deductive reasoning, I guess. And then they look at the time. It's a quarter to five right now. So they have 15 minutes to get there. So the mist is invisible, enters a bank. This guard, she like notices the door, like slide open and, you know, and it shuts. There's no one there. She's like, hmm. Then the camera starts to short out, bzz, bzz, you know, one by one. Then the big devices dropped and like, you know, they materialize. People are frozen in ice. Um, then the, the ice, they use the ice device on the vault door. Siobhan uses her mask and like shatters the door. And then they're all like, woohoo, because they see like a huge, you know, all these like stacks you know, of, of cash and everything. So Kyle wants to hurry, but Siobhan tells him to relax. She's like, it's not like the smashing grabs we've done before. We have everything under control. Except they don't realize that the security guard is like hiding outside the, the, the vault, like on the side of a counter. And she has like one of those tech gun things because they probably don't have real guns in a cartoon. Lois, Clark, and Jimmy arrive outside the bank. Clark tells him to stay there and he'll go call the authorities. And Lois is like, and we'll go get captured. And Clark's like, wait, what? And Lois is like, you go call for help. Jimmy and I will get taken hostages. And then Superman will come in and save us. Then we'll get our interview with him. And he's like, this was your plan the whole time? Find trouble, then ambush Superman when he flies in? Jimmy's like, I mean, it worked when we did it with Livewire. And Clark's like, you did that on purpose? Inside, they have like, uh, they're starting to stack sacks of, of loot, of cash. Then the guard comes out. She's like, hands up. The authorities are on the way. So, so just leave. Then Siobhan closes her mask visor, unleashes her power at her. The guard gets like knocked back. Albert shoots the ice ray. And it goes like across the bank, like out the door. Clark pushes Lois and Jimmy out of the way. And so they're kind of like separated by like this wall of ice. Lois calls out, Clark, are you okay? But then Superman flies down. Miss Lane, Mr. Olsen, get to safety. And he flies in. So it's inside the bank. He's like, for the well-being of the people of Metropolis, I need you to unfreeze everyone. Siobhan drops her bag and she's like, how about, no. Blast knocks him back, slams against the wall. Um, she keeps using the power or whatever. Well, then when he falls, Roughhouse slams him down on the ground. And then he's about to hit him again. But Superman catches his fist and then his other fist. Then he's like, then I'll do it. Siobhan tells Miss to do his thing. He turns invisible along with the freeze machine. Siobhan tries blasting Superman as he's like flying around the bank. Then Kyle reappears and gets ready to blast Superman. But then Albert runs up and like tackles him. So then the blast just like, you know, doesn't hit anyone. So then he tries turning off the machine, but it's stuck again. So Superman flies up to them, but then Siobhan blasts him back. Kyle gets like stuck to the freeze machine. And then Albert says, he's like, I got it. He smashes down. Kyle's like, no, not with the glove. So he he ends up busting the ice and it separates like into pieces. Some of the pieces kind of float and then reform together. And it sends out uh, like an ice and it blasts like the three crooks. So ice starts like busting out of like through the bank building, like through windows and everything. Lois and Jimmy, they're trying to get people. They're like, back up, get back, whatever, like that. And they're like, you know, this is the ice is going to take over the city. Superman is trying to bust free. You know, like his torso is like frozen. Ice is getting higher. It keeps forming around him as he's like trying to punch his way out. Then Siobhan's trying to blast it too, but she gets overtaking. The ice is up to Superman's head, and he his with his vision he can see outside. And he's like, Lois, Jimmy, run! But then the ice covers him up, overtakes him. His eyes then turn red. 
his heat vision finally kicked in. So that's why his vision's been kind of wonky this episode. So he's free. He floats up. He blasts the floating machine like full force, just like long as it kind of like melts and it explodes or whatever. Then he, he gets a flashback of like some robots fighting across the field. So I'm, I'm assuming that this tech is like from Apocalypse. That That's probably where this is going to lead to. So somehow he gets like this weird flashback. Then the ice melts and people start getting up. He picks up Siobhan's mask and just like kind of squeezes it, you know, to destroy it. Some EMTs enter and he says that he took out the machine causing all this, but there's some people in the back got hit hard. One of the EMTs is that tech dude from last episode. And I must have missed it. I, I think I, I my phone went off or something happened when uh, Livewire went to meet with them. So I'm pretty sure this guy's Agent Slade. Agent Slade Wilson is listed in the credits because he does have white hair and the hair is covering his right eye. So this is supposed to be Deathstroke before he's Deathstroke. And he like smiles and he looks at the three unconscious crooks. So he's probably going to kidnap them, bring them to Amanda Waller. So then Superman flies out. He sees Lois and Jimmy. They're like, Clark, Clark, where are you? And he like floats down and Lois is like, we can't find Clark. So Superman smiles, and it's, I think it's probably because you know she's more concerned about... You know, she sees Superman, but she doesn't immediately say, hey, can I, can I interview? She's like, we can't find Clark. So he's more concerned about Clark than interviewing him. So he's he's like, oh, he's okay. He's like, I saw him phoning for help you know, before I flew in. And he's like, I understand. You wanted an interview, Miss Lane? Then you hear, ooh, hello, Superman. The scoop troop pushes her way through the crowd. Lois is like, what do you say we take this interview elsewhere? So he puts his arm around her waist and she like kind of blushes. He's like, I'd say, hold on. Takes up straight off. Jimmy's like, takes some pictures as they fly up. Lois finally opens her eyes. There's a high, they're, you know, over the city. She's like, is this how you see the world? It's beautiful. And he's like, yes, beautiful. He's probably talking about her, right? He starts flying and, you know, she's smiling, whatever. Then they go to the top of the Daily Planet. Uh, she kind of like fumbles, takes out a recorder. She almost drops it or whatever, but he catches it. And he's like, it's okay. He's like, I'm nervous too. And she's like, you know, then why would you agree to this? He's like, you know, we've established that you can outrun me. And he's like, because when I told you and Jimmy to save yourselves, you stayed to help others. If you can face down a city destroying freeze ray, I think it can answer a couple questions. So she sees or whatever. She kind of regains her composure. Or she's like, okay, uh, let's start with the basics. Where do you come from? He's like, I don't know. Then she's like, how do your powers work? Uh, I, I'm still figuring that out. And she's like, ah. she's like, who are you? What are you? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out too, Miss Lane. He's like, the truth is, I'm still you know piecing together who I am and what I can do. But at the end of the day, I'm here to help the people of Metropolis. He starts floating up. He's like, and that's what matters. And then Clark, uh, he's like all out of breath and everything. You know, messes his hair up, comes through the door to, to the roof. He's like, Lois. And she's like, Clark, you're all right. She's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't tell you about my plan to interview Superman. I put you in danger because of it. And he puts his like hands on her shoulder. He's like, it's okay, Lois. I know how important this is for you. And I promise from here on out, I'll do whatever I can to help you get the interview. And she's like, actually, I just got it. And she holds up the recorder. And he's like, wow. She's like, you got the interview. That's incredible. I knew you'd get it. So so what do you think of Superman? Pretty great guy, huh? And she's like, oh, he's a liar. And he's like, great. What? And that's where it ends. So it's a fun episode. I, and I just, I, the animation is just so, so slick. So, so good. Just the, the colors and uh, it's, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And I'm bummed that there's only, I think there's only five episodes. So we got, what, two more after this? Ah, it's good stuff. 
right, and now the main feature and movie feature is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. So this is the seventh movie, right, uh, in the Mission Impossible franchise. And it's good. It, it's it's really good. You know, it, it has a, it's like 96% of Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. It's a long movie too. I think it's I think it was like two, two hours and forty three minutes, maybe or maybe, maybe I don't know if that's right. Um, it was also very expensive. It has a two hundred ninety one million dollar um, budget, so I, I think it was the the most expensive in, in the franchise. So it's very ambitious. They they filmed this movie. They filmed part one, part two, back to back, and um, it's it's a Mission Impossible movie. So now. Let me just just say this. I I I like the Mission Impossible movies. I don't love them. Uh, I watched um, four, five, and six, but before watching this one, and there's some things you know. I I, I like Tom Cruise. I'm I'm not the number one Tom Cruise fan. You know, he's he's not necessarily like my my favorite of all time. <laughs> and, and I think the the reason is. There's a, a lot of ego involved, you know. Say what you want about Tom Cruise. I mean, he's he's a good actor. He his movies are are box office smash. You know, they they make money. You know, he he pours himself into the role. You know, he is he a perfectionist? Maybe I don't I don't know. It doesn't. I mean, the the movies are good. You know, and and there's all the story about like oh he does all these stunts and everything like that. I kind of question the the need for the stunts. Is is it really necessary for him to do all this stuff? And I don't know if the idea is is him doing it. That's how committed he is to doing it to add to the realism, so you can see it's really him. I don't know if it's necessarily necessary, <laughs> necessarily necessary. I don't think you need to do all this. I don't think it it takes away from other action, other actors if you know they don't want to place themselves in danger because it's it's not the smartest thing to do because one little thing goes wrong you know that that's it it's it's over and um i so i i don't know i mean maybe i i don't know how much danger is there really i mean would the studios if this is a 291 million dollar movie are they really gonna say all right yeah we'll let you go crazy do all this but if if something goes wrong there goes our movie i i, I just feel like there's got to be like crazy safety procedures and 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 check or whatever to make sure nothing goes wrong. I, I don't know. So we have all all that that stuff going on, and the other thing, aside from from the big ego, you look at these movies. It's almost like Ethan Hunt can do no wrong. I mean, he's he is he's supposed to be like the best there is. They do mention quite a bit that he's extremely lucky. It's you know how much of it is skill versus how much of it is luck, and he really has to depend on on his team. And uh, I, was, I was talking to someone on Instagram, and, and they're they're saying how it's kind of like Captain Kirk and and his his Enterprise crew. You know, if 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 you don't have a crew, and and maybe that has something to do with Ethan Hunt, where he picks his team, he knows his team, he knows he can rely on them. But again, it's there's a lot of luck. There's the one movie, I forget if it was five or six, where 
he has to they have to get something on on a plane so he's like hanging he drives his motorcycle up jumps onto the plane he's hanging onto the door the plane takes off he has no way to get inside the plane he's calling benji he's like simon Pegg. he's like i need you to open the door i need you to open the door what if he couldn't open the door then 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 ethan hunt's gone he's dead that's it but the fact that he was able to hack into the system and get the door open get him in there it's luck that has nothing to do with skill. Sure, it took skill for him to ride his bike and jump on the plane and hang on to the door and keep hanging on as it's it's taking off. But it's it's all about luck. There's there's so much luck involved with, with all this, and it's it's not so much like James Bond where you know he doesn't overly rely on gadgets. But there are some things where you know you you, you need all that. You know there is there isn't a, a bit of tech needed to get the job done. So that's not really skill. You know, they, they rely a lot on, on these rubber masks that are, you know, work out so perfectly. So that you, yeah, I don't know. So it, that, that kind of bothers me. It's supposed to be like, you know, oh, he's a super spy. It's like, no, he's, he's skilled. He's also insanely lucky. Now, the other thing that I seem to notice and I kind of question, and it's, it's a Hollywood thing, but why is it all the women involved are like are are pretty or like beautiful or whatever you want to want to say. It's because you know it's not like all the dudes are you know. I'm I'm assuming people say Tom Cruise is a, is a handsome guy. I don't I don't know you know I don't I don't judge that. But you know it's it's not like all the dudes are are you know male models. But it seems like every time there's a, a woman involved, she's got to be pretty and. It seems like, you know, Tom Cruise is always willing to put everything on the line to save the woman. And even like a lot of times it's like a random one. You know, we had Carrie Russell in, in three. I, I don't remember the full story, but there is there is Carrie Russell. There's his wife. You know, there's uh, Rebecca Ferguson. There is a uh, in it might have been in six when Ethan goes to get his message. He goes in a record store. And then, you know, he gets his message and he gets like locked in the, the control room and then the record store woman who's like a spy, whatever, you know, she's in on this. She's like threatened and then she gets killed in front of him. And he's like, oh, he's like so upset because she was pretty. And and then there was a in this movie, there's a, 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 a police officer kind of stumbles upon them in the middle of, of something. And, you know, she's looking at him and she's like, what the heck are you guys doing? You know, because it, it's it, it's totally sketch looking, and it happens to be a woman officer. It happens to be a pretty woman officer, and so Tom Cruise is you know Ethan Hunt is going to put everything on, on the line to save this this random woman, even though the fate of the world rests on on accomplishing this task that they have to do. So it's just, and then on top of this one, you know, we have Haley Atwell. You know, she's this this new character. He hardly even knows her. And at one point, he's put in, into, like, he has to make a decision. Okay, are you going to save uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who you have this kind of relationship for over the last few movies, or this other random pretty woman that you just met that you don't know anything about her? And And it's like he places them equal, which, you know, maybe that says something for him that, like, all lives are equal but uh, it's just it seems like it's it's always about the the, the pretty girl 
And then even, you know, if, if you you throw in a Vanessa Kirby as, as uh, the White Widow, you know, she's pretty. And even uh, Pam Clementif, I don't know how you say her name. You know, so it's, <laughs> it, you have all that. But I totally digress. It's, it's yeah. So if, if you're not pretty, <laughs> you're out of luck. But that, that being said, even if you are pretty, your life isn't guaranteed just stay away from ethan hunt is, is is our conclusion here so as far as the story you know it's it's i it's it's great that we have simon Pegg and ving rames because uh, you know you you want to have that consistency although will they all survive because you know we we have seen vital members of his team dropping like flies so it's, it's almost like ethan is kind of cursed you know he yeah things don't always work out for for those around him uh, as far as how this movie goes, um, the 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 villain, I'm not sure how much is is out there, but it it's almost feels like the the threat because when you have these oh someone's trying to conquer the world or take over this or do this whatever, it kind of gets it you know we're we're talking the seventh movie now so it's like how many how many world conquerors hungry power hungry maniacs or you know can we have. But with this one, I feel like they, they've upped the threat. At first, I, I, I'm a little torn with how I, I, I think of this threat. And, and like I said, I don't know if it's common knowledge who or what this threat is, like the position of this threat, what this threat is capable of. So I guess maybe I shouldn't get too specific about, about that. But I guess what I will say is at one at first the idea of this position this of uh, this enemy, it almost seems a little little cliche, you know. Like you know, we, we've kind of seen this thing in you know many movies, you know, uh, you know, where things always go wrong. With you know, you rely too much on technology, you know, something is going to go wrong, and and you know, there's there's always something, but. I think how far we are in these movies that you, you kind of have to have a an, an, a threat, an enemy of this caliber, because this is the only thing that really makes sense. When if, you know, if you just have just random, um, you know, whatever country dictator, agent, evil spy, disgruntled, whatever, you know, it's it's just it's like the same thing over and over again. So you have to raise it up, and while the idea. And uh, the makeup or the, the whatever, the background of, of this enemy might be a little cheesy or cliche. It does kind of add a, a bigger threat. You know, this, this is something that something that we haven't seen in the past six movies. Um, then you throw in the fact that there also there's this dude, Gabriel, who I, as I'm watching this, I was like, do we know who this Gabriel person is? So this Gabriel is someone from Ethan's past. And at first, I was like, "Was was this person mentioned in the first Mission Impossible?" But apparently, it goes back before um, Ethan joined IMF. So someone from his his other past, and and we we see some some flashbacks to this, and this might have something to do with his uh, his longing, Ethan's longing to help the pretty women, because you know there there is like something involved there. So you know we we have this dude and. Again, is it that you could say, oh, a mysterious threat from his past who he thought was dead or gone or whatever. Now he's back to, to you know, complicate his life or you know, be a reminder. Blah blah blah. All this, it's that that could be a little cheesy as well. But also, it it 
makes it a little more personal versus if it's just some other evil dude, eh, whatever. But the, the fact that this guy knows Ethan knows kind of has an idea how to get in his head that, that adds a, a little, an extra layer to it. I, I guess, you know, you, you could say that and then combining Gabriel with, a uh, this other, um, enemy, you know, th- things are, are, are pretty, pretty nuts. You throw in the, the fact that, you know, um, <laughs> who Gabriel's working. Like, I, I have to say, uh, Pom Clementif, <laughs> she, her performance was, it was, it was, it was good. I mean, she, she really got into the character you know, she's kind of like this, this crazed, um, she's, she's kind of crazy. A little unhitched. I saw this, uh, on Instagram, a little like interview with her. It might've been like Rotten Tomatoes or, or something, or I don't know if it's Hollywood Reporter, whoever had the interview, and she's saying how she kind of modeled herself. Maybe it was Rolling Stones. It doesn't matter. It does too. I want you know I want to credit whoever got the interview, but she was she was kind of saying how she modeled it off this one bird, and they they kind of showed a bird where it's just kind of like looking down, and, and it kind of looks at you and has like this kind of serious like locked on gaze and everything, and you know doesn't really say anything, and and you know that there's like something going on there, and. <laughs> but there's parts, you know, where she's like driving in this big, like, you know, SUV and just smashing through, you know, this car chase scene. And, and she's like having, having a ball. Her character is just like loving it and everything. So, you know, that, that was, that was kind of fun to see. Um, speaking of, of the car chase scene and going along with, with how Ethan Hunt can, can do no wrong. He can do everything. I, I, I do want to say that they did kind of mix things up with the, the car chase scene. You know, it, it wasn't something that we necessarily saw like seven times or six times or already before. They kind of mixed it up so it, it doesn't work out as, as smoothly as Ethan would have liked it to. Uh, you know, it, it kind of it puts a, a challenge to him and it, it kind of makes it a little more exciting because if it's just like, oh, he's going to get in his fancy car and he's going to drive off or whatever, you know, yeah, maybe we'll see some cool stunts or crashes or something like that. But it's, it's stuff that we've seen so many times. So at least the way they, they handled it here, it was a little different. I, I think that made it a little more fun. You know, the the, the type of car they use and just the, the whole way to, the route or whatever, the, the, the way the chase is handled. All, all that was 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 kind of kind of interesting, and uh, with the the movie's runtime, I, I think it it works out. You know, never I, I I'm a, I'm a fan of long movies. You know, three I, I I do think three hours is pushing it. You know, if you go past three hours, that might be a bit much. To, you know, just sit there at one time, but I I do like it. And you know, you always the, the whole thing. I I hate binging shows you know i i don't want everything to drop at once but you know a lot of people tend to like that so it's the same thing this is what like james james cameron said that you know people will do that but yeah you also have the argument that people can pause it if they need to go to the bathroom or make a sandwich or whatever in the theater you can't do that and you know last thing i want to do is get up run to the bathroom or you know get popcorn or candy and i'm never going to do that but with, with this movie I feel that the 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 length really worked, and you know we we get different locations, you know, different things happen, and it it just it feels like there's there's just layers to the movie and to the story. It just feels like it just keeps going and keeps building, 
So I never felt like it was dragging just to, you know, be a really long, you know, installment in the franchise or anything like that. I felt like that there's just a lot of different things to see. And that, you know, kind of makes sense with, you know, you look at that budget where you have these different locations and, and, you know, all these different things happening. So I can really appreciate that, that, you know, it just, there's just so much going on. And it's, you know, the last thing you want is for, you know, the things to just jump conveniently. Because, you know, sometimes when it happens, it feels like, it's like, oh, you're, you're kind of making it too easy. You know, I, I mentioned that like in, in the crowded room where it just feels like all of a sudden like boom it's like okay now we're we're doing this cuz you know we're, we're maybe running out of time so you know we have to start start doing whatever so i i i i think it it just it worked out so you know we we have all that and then part 2 is supposed to come out June 28th 2024 hopefully that's still the case you know who knows with with the all these strikes going on is that going to cause you know if they filmed everything i'm assuming they they've got all the filming done and doing just all all the post-production stuff but uh, who knows with that it it made you know some people might be like oh man we don't get the whole story you know it's it's but if you look at all all these movies there you know especially like four five and six have been kind of connected so they, they kind of build off each other so having to wait a year that's fine you know it because why try to you know resolve the story in three hours or you know two and a half hours or whatever when you know there's there's more to it than that so i i'm I'm totally fine with that you know i'll wait a year to get another you know good good production you know good installment so all, all that that's good one of the interesting things is this is the first movie since i think the third one or second one or third one that james abram wasn't involved with i don't know why that is I don't know if there's anything. Maybe he's just busy. But this, uh, you know, I, I was always surprised. Like rewatching that last movie, I was like, yeah, all these are bad robot productions. I was like, you know, that that's that's cool. But maybe I, I, is he with Warner Brothers now? Is you know, because there's he was going to do all that stuff with HBO Max, and you know, a lot of that stuff didn't happen. You know, COVID killed a lot of things. So I don't know. But overall, I would say you know it's it's a very good movie. It's a, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that it, it has such high ratings, you know, Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. But just you know, keep in mind, I'm not like a diehard super Mission Impossible, you know, fan. I can totally appreciate these movies, and you know, they're a lot of fun. There's a lot of crazy things that happen. Yeah, of course, you're gonna roll your eyes a little bit at, at some points, but I think they they handled it all pretty well. And just as long as you keep in mind that it's like, no, it's not just about one one character. It's not just about Tom Cruise. You know, it's it's about his team. <laughs> but it, there's just sometimes it's just too much, too much running. We we still get a lot of running, but I guess that's just how it goes. So I I that's probably more than enough. I probably just rambled on about nothing. It's it's a good movie, and um, you you should definitely see it. So if you've seen any other ones, you know it it helps because you know you know who these characters are and what they mean and everything like that. But it 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 was a good it you know it it stands on its own. You know you don't have to see the other ones, but it I enjoyed it, so I I was happy to see it and. You know, you're going to want to see it on a big screen to really appreciate all the just the locations and the actions and the sequences. You know, it, it's definitely worth seeing on as you know, big a screen as possible. 
and, and, and all that. But that's it. That's all I had to say about it. So uh, thumbs up. It was good. And it's also good because that is going to be it for this podcast. So it's time to move on and do who knows what. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm currently doing Silver Age Superman, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, weird, wacky, silly stories. So you you can hear, hear about those. I'll probably do another one this week. Um, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. What is going to be on next week's episode? It's going to be a little tricky. So, uh, going to Comic-Con and I really don't know what to expect from Comic-Con. It doesn't seem like there's going to be as many interview opportunities as I normally have. Uh, you know, last year I feel like there wasn't a whole lot and I, I almost feels like this year there's going to be even less. And now with, you know, the, the, all the strikes going on, um, you know, with, with the writers or with the actors going on strike too, they're, they're not going to be able to promote anything. They're not going to do interviews. And, uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't know what, what I'm going to be covering. And because I'm going to be at Comic-Con, I won't be able to go to the movies. Because, you know, we have Oppenheimer, we have Barbie both opening this week. And um, so I don't I don't know. Um, I'll probably try <laughs> to see one of them when I get back from Comic-Con. I'm going to have like a one-day window. Because then I'm, I'm flying off to see my daughter. <laughs> It's, it's going to be, it's going to be the next couple of weeks, this week and next week are just going to be nuts. So maybe I'll, I'll see one of them and then that'll be on the next episode. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what opens, if anything's opening that weekend. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's kind of a bummer that, that they're opening during Comic-Con weekend. So we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know. I think Bird Box came out last, last Friday. So maybe I can talk about that. Um, and then um, just to focus on like what, how was Comic Con? You know, we'll, we'll talk about that. You know, I'll I'll definitely talk about Hijack and the Crowded Room and maybe probably hopefully Secret Invasion. Um, but yeah, I don't know if, if there'll be a main feature aside from Comic Con wrap up. But we'll, we'll see. So I hope you are doing well. Um, if you're going to Comic Con, I hope to see you. Um, if you see me, you know, just say hey. Um, I hope you're enjoying your summer. We're probably like what halfway through summer now. I hope you're doing fun things. I hope you're taking care of yourself, and I hope you remember to be good to each other.